I gave crypto one last shot. Doing everything that's the opposite of sexy and exciting. I made a lot of money. I used to be friends with Andrew. Interesting guy. So is his brother, love his brother. And they love cars. We went to Jubble Jace, the tallest mountain in the UAE. That was fun. If you see a lot of Andrew in your algorithm, you're only seeing good things. I remember sitting right there and he was talking about, I understand in this game, you've got three strikes or whatever. Cancel, prison, kill. I was sat like where your couch is behind you, like that far away. Hey, Sammy. How's it going, mate? Pretty good, pretty good. How's your day? Yeah, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Been to the gym, come back. Whereabouts are you based, Sammy? Uh, right now, I am, uh, I don't know, like 100 miles out of LA in a random forest. That's so cool. Is it like one of those lodges, those forest lodges? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, like a cabin made out of wood. And um, yeah, just kind of living in the snow right now, to be honest, just in the mountains. Snowboarder or skier? Neither. Um, I'm just here because I like the scenery, I guess. How often do you sort of like go out and get away from the city and reset? Is it like a reset type of trip right now for you? You know, I've, uh, I used to travel a lot and I stopped traveling because I needed to focus more. So I did the longest stretch in one place for a long time in Dubai at the end of last year kind of from october to february for four months four months is a very long time for me to not take a flight and it felt weird and then when i left i just kind of felt like you know middle of february i was like all right i just need to be on the move for a little bit but you know after a little bit of travel i'm, I'm in california um and i'm just kind of um it's not like a reset thing necessarily i don't necessarily feel like i ever need to reset from anything it's more so just um you know, I could be working in the Burj Khalifa or I could be working in, uh, you know, a snowy paradise setting in California. So I'm just choosing a different, you know, keeping it fresh. That's that's what this is for me. Given, you know, like your lifestyle is, you know, working online, working from your laptop. Is it worth like getting leases or buying apartments or do you just Airbnb short term leases everywhere? You know, I mean, it's nice to have a base. Um, it's nice to have a base in a tax free country. Uh, and, and so on, you know, so there are those elements to consider. But I think that, you know, if you're young, if you want to kind of see the world, if you want to, you know, kind of, you know, look, I mean, most of us were just kind of working online, right? It almost, it, it doesn't really matter. Time zones don't really even matter for when we work for a lot of people like that are online. That is obviously if you're, you know, you've got a normal job, then okay, these things matter a lot, you know, but if you can, then why not? You know, if you're lucky enough to be born with the right passport as well, you know, like, why not? You know, you're kind of just wasting it if you, that's the way I see it. So, yeah, you know, lots of Airbnbs, hotels, whatever is suitable, you know. Um, I like to be in places where I, you know, don't have interruptions to my work. I want a good gym. I don't want to struggle to find good food. Um, it means, unfortunately, that a lot of the times I've got to be in a city and at that in a decent part of a city, because if I'm, if I'm in a not so upscale part of a city, uh, the options will be fried chicken as opposed to, you know, grilled chicken salad. Right. So um, these things kind of matter and it gets expensive if you want to do it to a standard where your life does not have an interruption. But it's cool and it's worth it. What's your thoughts between sort of that laptop? lifestyle digital nomad traveling around working off your laptop versus like having a home base having an office standing table dual screen camera mic and having like a setup yeah well it's interesting you said that because i've got exactly what you just said back home in dubai and it is just everything i could ever want plus 
you know, a lot more, which is amazing. But ultimately, the work happens up here, right? Like you don't need six trading monitors and, you know, a crazy setup. You kind of just need an iPhone, right? Like a lot of people these days are getting out hustled by like a 16 year old Indian kid that's working out of like a Samsung Galaxy A20. You know, like I, I barely even know what model of phone that is, but I know there's, there, you know, there's a kid out there that's making like, you know, $10,000 a month just off that. So you don't need that stuff. It's nice to have, you know, if you're working a lot, if you're being very productive and so on, of course, you know, these things are useful. But bottom line, um, you know, if I'm going to lose 10% of my productivity to enjoy life 50% more because I'm in a different place, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I'm weighing this up. Got it. Just for a bit of context, Sammy, for me in the audience, tell us like a brief rundown of your story. You're super young. You're like 21 years old. I know you're in the crypto space. Please sort of give us a, a brief introduction and I'll start diving deep into the little things you share. Yeah, man. Um, I was never a normal kid. Always hated school. That was a big part of it. Uh, you'll, you'll find out why in a second. And um, I was a YouTuber since I was eight years old, just kind of, I don't know, just always doing things differently, always, you know, internet money, whatever. Age 13, I've been a YouTuber for five years at this stage. I end up starting my own company where I manage other YouTubers in exchange for a percent of their revenue that they generate from ads. And, um, you know, my part of the deal is I've got to help them grow. I've got to help them just give them what they need as YouTubers, just facilitate them being YouTubers, bring them sponsorships and so on. You know, that was my first business, 15, 16 started to change a little bit um that industry actually got shut down by youtube the one i was working in it was called sub networks and then i um i got a little job managing a youtube channel lasted a few months but paid very very well then i got into crypto uh when i was 15 and it you know bitcoin was that you know, two thousand dollars something like that uh for the first time this is early 2017 uh, I got in because a friend of mine made money on Bitcoin and I was like, well, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. I had always been interested in Bitcoin. I just never understood it. And back then, the resources for understanding how to get into crypto and more importantly, in my case, how to buy crypto, how to store it and so on, were very limited. There were limited resources. There were limited fiat on-ramps, we call them. So from fiat on into Bitcoin, it's called an on-ramp. Um, there were limited on-ramps. I was under 18, so there were a limited number of restrictions. It was very, very hard. Um, which kind of sucks because I wanted to get into Bitcoin since I was like, I don't know, maybe 12, 13. You know, everyone heard of Bitcoin the first time. Like, you know, if, if you were like a tech guy and young, you definitely heard of Bitcoin back in like 2012, 2013, maybe just a little bit, you know, like one word. And I wanted to get in, you know, pretty quickly, but I just couldn't, you know, but then when this guy did, I just kind of figured, you know, let me just ask him how he did it. And that was the best mistake of my life. And, uh, and I ended up getting into crypto then age 15. I was a horrible, horrible trader, lost all my money multiple times. I had to keep putting money back in. Fortunately, I had money for my existing business and that job I told you about a few minutes ago. And um, yeah, 2017 managed to rack up a high of $80,000 from 300 basically. Uh, and the reason I did so well there was I actually partnered up with somebody else who uh, at the time was selling information on crypto, uh, basically. And I was like, hey, you know, you're, you're good at this stuff. I'm good at, you know, marketing. Here is my background. Let's just do a 50-50 thing. And I have no idea why I asked him. The guy actually wanted me to be a customer. Funny, this is, this is how it happened with the first business too. Somebody approached me so that I'm basically his client. I'm managed by him as a YouTuber. And I was like, hey, you know, like, why don't, let's work together, you know, and then let's work together to turn into me running my own company. And in this case, with this crypto thing, it was the same thing. You know, he's like, you know, that buy my thing. And I was like, no, let's partner up, which is important because it was just kind of a shot in the dark. 
a lot of my life has been just shots in the dark. Even now, it's still, I just, I just kind of, you know, I, I remember this brilliant analogy of as a YouTuber to find out what works, you know, as an influencer, back then we didn't have that phrase. You got to pick up a pile of shit and just throw it at a wall and see if it sticks, you know? And if it sticks, do it again, do it again and again. If it doesn't stick, pick up a different pile of shit and throw it at the wall. And that's what I was doing my whole life. That's what I was doing my whole life. I was literally just looking to try out a bunch of different things, see what might work, what might not. And this was one of those random shots. Getting that job I told you about, which paid me you know, a good amount of money at that age, age 15, that was also just a shot in the dark. You know, I just kind of like, there was something there. I was like, okay, let me go in that direction and explore this opportunity. And so um, because the marketing was going very well and that guy was actually a very good trader, I started to make a good amount of money in 2017. Lost pretty much all of it by early 2018. Uh, I also then quit trading and quit everything and went back to school because I had like $20,000 down from 80. So what the fuck am I going to do with 20K? Uh, you know, 80K is nice, but 20K is, I mean, you know, I was born and raised in the UK, right? Like 20K is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I'm looking for financial freedoms and, you know, fucking Ferraris and mansions and stuff like 20K is nothing. So I kind of looked at going back to school at this point. I really wanted to drop out. I hated school. I was getting bullied, very fat kid, uh, no friends. Everyone was, uh, was, was mean to me. It wasn't nice. Even my closest friends friends were not nice uh, at times and um and then it kind of just felt like crunch time i was like i can't fucking do this i can't stay in the system i can't go to university as i planned bless my mom pakistani mom she wanted me to go to university because i looked like i was the smartest kid in the family you know just kind of naturally you know doing well in school i was that kind of kid you know she thought i'd be a doctor or like at least get a degree but I, you know as time went on and i was making money in crypto even though i lost a bunch i just i knew that i could then do it and i was like yeah i don't you know i don't want to be in school anymore so i gave crypto one last shot this is actually like the big thing that changed for me it's a story which like feels weird to tell because i know for sure if i read this in the book i wouldn't believe it um but I, it literally came to a point where i was so fucking desperate mate i remember i read think and grow rich and you know it was like there can be no plan b you have to have this fire under you uh best book ever napoleon hill and um you know you you gotta have this fire under you and just fucking run for your goal and stuff like that and i was like you know what let me just take a leap of faith on this and i tried trading one last time up to this point, I had quit so many times, even in 2017, because I was a bad trader. Uh, I had quit so many times and then come back to the space over and over. This time I was like, one last time, one last time. And this time I'm going to do it right. Up to this point, I had read many books on trading. I had read many books on the psychology of trading, on principles, on analysis, on, and so on. And I was like, I am going to literally trade right now as though behind my shoulder is a trading mentor that I read from in one of these books. Uh, and I don't want to disappoint this, you know, 65 year old, extremely wealthy American man that's teaching me how to trade. Uh, I want to behave properly as though he has coached me um, so that I don't disappoint him. And that meant completely removing emotions, exercising risk management, not putting too much money into trade, being careful, trading less, doing everything that's the opposite of sexy and exciting. And I made a lot of money. Um, and for the first time consistently, I was making a lot of money. I was, you know, triple digit gains, you know, meaning more than double of what I put in week or multiple times a week consistently for like two months. We're up to like June, July of 2018 now. And I was also making YouTube videos at this time. So I started to get really well known because my analysis was just on point. Everything was amazing. Uh, every call I made, it felt like anything I touched turned into gold, which turns into a problem in a few minutes. And so between, you know, where I was down to 20K and at this point, I must have come up to over 100K. Yeah, it was over 100K at this point by June. Big, I mean, you know, within like three, four months, 
quadrupling my net worth, I decided to reopen that group. Uh, but by this point, the guy that was running it with me just kind of dropped off. Uh, you know, the bear market was very rough and a lot of people can't survive it. He had a somewhat more complicated situation, which was unrelated to crypto, and I'm not going to go into it, but he kind of had to drop off for other reasons too. But, you know, most people just kind of get wiped out. So it was just me running the group. Fortunately, up to that point, yes, I had the marketing knowledge down, but uh, I had been working with this guy for maybe like six months. So I also knew a lot about the trading stuff that he was doing. I used that time to learn. So I was able to run it on my own, blew that up. And, uh, you know, people wanted to pay and join and, and that did very well. And I was just kind of compounding like that until I turned 17. And when I turned 17, I got my, um, the ability to drive in the UK, which, uh, you know, it was a big deal for me. I wanted my freedom. I wanted to leave school for the same reason. I wanted to be able to go anywhere, um, you know, not have to take the fucking bus, not have to take the train. Uh, I hated that stuff. I hated public transport, still do. Uh, that has not changed. And at the same time, everybody was giving me the uh, social validation that I wanted. You know, like I said, no friends back in school, but now I'm the prodigy kid where, as I said, everything I touch turns into gold. If I say I'm going to buy a coin, best believe it's going up 30% in a few days kind of thing. Uh, and I got that reputation. So everybody was giving me all of that validation. And that turned into a really big problem. That got to my head. Many, 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 many people asked me to manage their money up to this point. I always said no. Um, a family friend asked me at this point, and he was also helping me with my taxes. Uh, and I was like, and you, you know, and, and I was new to that world. I don't know anything about taxation. I don't know like what a business was. I was like just 16 turning 17. No one teaches you this stuff in school. So I was really dependent on this guy. And I thought, you know, he's a family friend. He's helping me out. Let me take his money. This all happens like right after I turned 17. What year was this? Uh, this is 2018. We're still in, we're in July, 20, August, 2018 now. I take his money. Everyone loves me. I'm making a lot of money. And then bam, loss, loss loss and actually liquidation 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 meaning i lose 100 percent of what i put into the trade and obviously because i'm fucking you know mr loyal that's like the prodigy kid that's going to become like richer than warren buffett in you know 20 years uh i didn't exercise good risk management and i just kept losing all my money so this guy he gave me ten thousand dollars to manage i was like okay i'll do it for you as a friend i didn't want anything back anyway I lost $9,000. I lost all of his money within 10 days. It was a bad period. I, uh, my, you know, my, my, my trading decisions were going wrong. Um, people were, uh, were, were upset at me because they thought I was an amazing trader and then I turned into a bad trader within the space of 10 days. Uh, and then I got hacked. Um, and I lost a quarter of a million dollars uh, just after turning 17. And that was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of nice stuff that happened kind of from like, I really started to tighten up April, May, up until the end of July. And then July, August comes around and then bam, bam, bam. So you turn 20 grand into 80 grand into 250 grand. Into much more than 250. Um, within, yeah, I kind of skipped that part. Um, so from like June, July, it's, it wasn't like a hundred K anymore. It was significantly more. And I can't remember the number. It could have, I, I don't, I don't know. It could have been like 300 or 700, like something way bigger. But I remember specifically that I lost 250 and that it was less than half of everything I had at that time. Um, and that I kind of just dusted myself off. 
pretended that nothing happened. I don't know where the fuck I got all that strength from because that's a lot of money to lose at 17, even if I had made like over a quarter mil, uh, quarter of a mil at that point. Um, I kind of just dusted myself off and acted like it didn't happen to the point where people thought I lied about it. When I told, like, I told my private group, I'm like, guys, I'm a little bit, you know, fucked up mentally right now. I lost a quarter of a mil, you know, bear with me, I'll be back. But then the very next day, I just kind of, yeah, I, and they thought I was lying about it, you know, trying to grab attention. Uh, not all of them, but but the ones that were very unhappy with me um, did think that. And then kind of by, yeah, September, October, just um, learned my lessons. <laughs> you know, security is very tight now uh, and had made the money back, you know. And so it just turned into like a uh, a very big, I can talk about it with this much detachment now because, you know, this year marks the fifth year after it happened, you know. So I have a good amount of emotional distance from this tragedy uh, that I experienced. But at the time, yeah, I mean, it was it was absolutely horrific. During that 2018 bear market, how were you making money? Like, how did you make back that 250K? And also, how did you get hacked? So um, bear markets are where really good traders are made. Um, the thing about bear markets is, see, when you're in a bull market and you're actively setting all-time highs, that's the easiest market to trade for sure, right? And, and that's simply because everybody is has fresh blood um everybody's stupid everybody is you know just ruled by emotion that last point sticks in bear markets which is useful because anytime where like emotions are going crazy you can make a lot of money um psychology is fairly predictable uh you know people always ask me like you know is trading a you know do you need to have good math skills for trading stuff like that no the primary thing i studied as a teenager was psychology i dropped out of school i was bad at math uh, as soon as algebra came into the mix i was horrible i thought i was good at math until that and um you know so 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 math accounts for nothing it's all psychology and when you're in a bear market you already have every level defined right like at the time that we're talking right now bitcoin's sitting at 28 29000 dollars i know that Bitcoin has support at 25, that Bitcoin has support at 21.5, at 20, at 17. I, I know these like Bitcoin has support. I know where it can fall down to. When you're in price discovery mode, when the price is actively setting new all-time highs, you've never seen, you, know, you don't know how Bitcoin is going to interact with $73,000 because we've never been there. We might blast straight through it, or we might find resistance at 73 because people are front running 75. Everyone's expecting a sell off at 75. So the smart guys sell at 74 and the very smart guys sell at 73. And then we top out at 73, right? We don't know how, but I know that if we fall down to 25, we're probably going to find support. So um, bear markets are significantly easier to trade in that sense. And 2018 just happened to be an easy bear market. You know, like the recent, the bear market we're in right now with Bitcoin is incredibly difficult to trade. 2018 was way easier. So in that sense, I got lucky. We had the levels predefined. I was going short. Consider this, from $7,000 down to $6,300 is basically a 10% drop. If I trade that move on 10 times leverage, I'm now making a 100% profit, you know? So if I put in $10,000 into that trade, I took 20K out. So it's pretty easy to make fast money with, you know, 7K to 6.3 for Bitcoin at that time was not a big deal. Like that's not a big price move. So yeah, it was a good market. I had very good mentors and I was really plugged into the game. My whole life was trading. As for how specifically I got way higher than 250K, it has always been at that point, a mix of making money from that information educational service that i was running and compounding that so you know let's say i made like twenty thousand dollars in revenue 
I would then throw that into the market and the market turns that into more money for me. So it was always like, you know, taking money from here, moving it here, blowing it up. And that's how it was for some time until I had, you know, enough money that, you know, I could kind of trade with and be comfortable to kind of risk in the market. And then it massively shifted to the other side where now I still run the same thing, but it accounts for maybe less than 10% of, of what I make. The trading? Yeah. No, no, the, uh, the business stuff, the trading accounts for, you know, like 90%. Wow. Yeah. Whereas before it was, it was massively skewed before it might've been like a hundred percent coming from the business, but then I move it into trading and the trading just turns it into crazy money to where this didn't look like anything, you know? And then as time went on, that kind of evened out. And now it's, you know, I, I just can't make that much money from selling the business at the moment compared to what I can, you know, it's just a lot easier to make money as a trader if you're putting in, you know, a good amount of money. Got it. In 2018, did you start a YouTube channel from scratch? How many subscribers did you have? back then where you're sort of creating content and sort of helping people with education uh so i started my first channel when i was like eight years old so it would have been like 2009 around there maybe a little bit younger uh my current channel i started in 2011 um wow. so yeah i've been running it for 12 years um and it's been everything you know i mean it started off as like entertainment videos gaming videos news videos uh almost political videos, strangely. And, you know, I tried to do like a Philip DeFranco or like almost like a bit of Joe Rogan, but five, 10 minutes long instead of you know, multiple hours. But yeah, it turned into crypto when, when I got into crypto, you know, the channel just always followed my natural passions, I guess, or interests, I would say. You know, it used to be gaming, then it was smartphone reviews, laptop reviews, and then it was crypto. So I don't know, man, it felt natural. Um, I had always been a YouTuber. I've been a YouTuber now for more than half of my life, right? Like from eight years old to 21. I know being a YouTuber more than I know anything else in my life. I just kind of did it, you know, and uh, I had always made tutorials, um, you know, so I made tutorials and stuff like that. I like presenting my analysis. I think I'm a good analyst. I think I know what I'm doing and um, I like getting behind the microphone and, and talking shit for 20, 30 minutes every day. Love it. With your first crypto community and sort of your community that you built, was it piggybacking off the previous YouTuber that you worked with or was it all the audience you built? You started creating crypto content and just people started joining your community. So, um, it was, I had like 10,000 subscribers, maybe 15,000 subscribers from tech when I got into crypto. So crypto didn't, and now I'm at like 130,000, you know, for comparison. Yes, some of my tech viewers were also just naturally interested in crypto. Some of them were already interested. Some of them became interested because I was talking about it because I had a transition, right? There was a time where, you know, for a few months, I was, it was like a little bit of crypto, a little bit of tech, um, you know, so I kind of, you know, eased into it. Those who are interested, you know, stuck around and those who didn't are, you know, just forever subscribed, but not, you know, they're just not getting my content recommended to them anymore because they want to watch Marquez, you know, MKBHD instead of me. So, uh, you know, that happened. But yeah, most of the growth came from crypto. Got it. And then, Sammy, are you sort of trading? Are you doing options? Are you doing leverage? Like, what are the differences between all these for people like me who might not know? Um, I don't know, man. I know, I know how it works in crypto. Um, I don't know how it works in traditional finance. I've never understood it. Uh, I tried, but um, I trade on leverage. I trade Bitcoin derivatives. Uh, there are multiple Bitcoin derivatives. The issue with Bitcoin derivatives is there's no legit one. You know, like with gold, if you want to trade gold with your broker, you're going to be trading a derivative of gold because you're not buying like actual physical gold. So it's always a derivative, but it's always regulated, right? Everyone in the world knows gold, but there's no like, you know, a government can't, actually a government could probably, I don't know. I don't think a government can like just come up and make a Bitcoin derivative. So you're always trading like, 
it's always like a gray area. But yeah, crypto derivatives are what I trade. And that's just, yeah, standard leverage, you know, I mean, um, isolated leverage instead of cross, uh, which may or may not mean anything to you. Um, but it's just a simple way of trading, um, you know, and yeah, I just kind of look at buying and selling when I see easy opportunities to make money. That's all. It's, it's not that complicated. Got it. So I sort of understand the model of you buy one Bitcoin for $20,000. You own that one Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes up to 30,000. You sell that one Bitcoin for 30,000 and you've made $10,000 profit. So I understand that simple trading. What is leverage trading? How does that work? So, so where it would be different is, okay, let me make this even simpler. We all know what a mortgage is. If we don't know what a mortgage is, then probably search that up before coming back to this podcast. But, um, you know, basically you're going to be putting, let's say you've got a $100,000 house um, and you've got a 10K deposit. Let's say, you know, and, and whatever interest rates aren't crazy. This is going back like two years ago. You've got like, everything's normal. It's just like a normal, you know, you're doing the American dream. You're doing the, the Western dream. Um, your 100K house after a year, it turns into 110K house. You can sell that 110K house and you've only put down 10K plus your monthly payments across that year. So let's forget about the monthly payments because that complicates it. When you sell the house, you give back 100K to the bank because that's what they lent you. Uh, you give back 90K to the bank because that's what they lent you. Uh, you take the asset appreciation, which is 10K. Uh, and of course, your, your own money out as well uh, because you, you put the deposit down. So um, you, you're, you're walking, you know, you put 10K in, but you're walking out with 10K. So you've doubled your money and you've effectively used 10 times leverage because your 10K deposit turns into a 100K house. So what we're doing with Bitcoin is Bitcoin's at 20K. If I've got $20,000, amazing, I can buy one Bitcoin. But if I've got $20,000 and I'm feeling a little bit spicy, I can be like, all right, you know, give me 50K. Let me trade with 3X leverage, 20 times three. So I put $60,000 into the market. I don't know why I chose a hard number. Let me, let me, let me, let me say 5X, right? I put 100K in. Now, now I'm trading with five Bitcoins. So my reward is multiplied by five, but so is my risk, which means I have a liquidation level. And, and I'll get to the liquidation in a second. The fun part is that if Bitcoin goes from 20 to 30, I'm making that $10,000 profit five times. Um, so think of a house mortgage on steroids and speed because it's gonna happen. you're going to make way more money and you're going to make money faster. Our goal as traders, my goal as a trader when I was younger and I didn't have money was to put myself in a position where I can buy, where I can turn a small amount of money into a large amount of money. The reason property and real estate is a horrible idea for a young broke person to get into is because that game is made for rich people, right? Like you're not going to, your best case scenario on average, you're making 8% a year, right? And, and like that's without recessions or maybe with recessions factored in 8% a year on, you know, a broke university student savings account of $400 isn't shit. You know, like th there's no way you're going to make that a nice, like unless you're just happy to make $5,000 for the rest of your life, which fair enough, good for you. I wish I could be that simple. Uh, trust me, my life would be a lot simpler and, and, and maybe maybe even happier if that was the case, right? I applaud those people, um, you know, but but if you're interested in bigger money, that's a horrible, like I don't, 8% a year is fun when, you've, when you're working with $100 million. Now you're making $8 million a year, right? That's good money. That's private jet money. That's, you know, partying in Monaco during F1. That's a good life. You know, but 8% a year on even $100,000 is 8K. What are you going to do with 8K after one year? You're not even making minimum wage. You know, like a lot of young people that get into real estate live way worse living conditions than a minimum wage person would because they've got to be so fucking tight and stingy with their money because just, you're just not making much. So our goal as traders is where that 8% profit might take one year. 
I want to make that 8% profit in three hours, you know, and then I want to do it again and again and again, because the second part that's important about this, uh, you know, goal is, you know, 8% in and of itself is not impressive, but 8% compounded for 25 years in a row, that's good money. So not only do I want to get that 8% in, you know, as opposed to one year in three hours, I want to keep getting it so that I can get that 25 year gain within three months. The ugly part of the way I trade is if I'm taking 5x leverage, my risk is multiplied by 5x. So where if I just do a normal spot purchase, what you described as a spot purchase, if I do a spot purchase of Bitcoin at 20k, I've got one Bitcoin and to have a maximum 100% loss, Bitcoin would have to be worth $0. But to have a maximum 100% loss with 5x leverage, Bitcoin only has to drop down by 20%. Because as soon as we've fallen down by 20%, that risk is multiplied by five. I've lost 100% of my money. So 20% off of $20,000 is 16K, which means that if Bitcoin is at 20K when I open, but then Bitcoin falls down to 19, you know, I haven't lost $1,000. I've lost $1,000 times five, you know, so I've already lost a quarter of all my money from, you know, a negligible price drop, a 5% price drop. So leverage is incredibly risky. You have to really know what you're doing. Um, and most of the time, 99% uh, plus, you're going to lose all your money or most, uh, you know, when you start leverage trading, it's just part of the pro. I don't know anyone that didn't lose, you know, all their money when, when they started to trade. It, it just doesn't happen. The example you made for the mortgage was like, it made it clear for me. Like I've never heard someone explain it that way. So thank you, Sammy. Like it just instantly was like, okay, I get it. In the real estate space, when that hundred K house goes up to 110 K, you sell it, you make 10K, you get back the 10K you also deposited. So now you doubled your money. The person who bought it sort of bought it at a 10K increase. So you sort of won and the person who bought it sort of holds a bag. Um, and then if the house goes down to 90K, you sell at 90K, now you lost all your money um, and you sort of holding the bag and the person who bought it, they won the deal by getting the house at a cheaper price. In the leverage scenario, who's losing and who's winning? Like if you're winning, who's losing out? Is it the exchange? Is it, are there people leverage trading against you? How does it work? Yeah, so, um, you know, with a house, it, it's generally quite straightforward, right? Like I'm selling a house to you. I'm the seller. You're the buyer. I know, you know, like what, what's going on. But with trading, you know, you're trading on an exchange or with a broker. You don't know who's on the other side of that trade. Um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, like if I'm making money, I, I don't know who's losing. Someone's losing money. It's a zero sum game, right? Like for someone to win, someone else has to lose, um, which is different to, you know, like business, which is almost always a positive sum game, you know, like uh, a bakery. You know, I'm talking normal businesses, not banks, but like normal businesses, you know, it's a positive sum game. You're actively contributing. There's a high probability that what you are putting into the economy is helping everybody. With trading, no, you're, you're taking money from someone. Uh, and I, I don't know, it's not the exchange. The exchange is probably taking money from you, although I can't talk about that very much. I mean, you know, put it this way. If you're making money as a trader, you're most likely taking money from somebody who's impatient. That's the best way to put it. Makes sense because I recently finally understood options trading and foreign exchange where I heard that's literally gambling. Like in foreign exchange, you set your thing like, okay, $1.32 for one USD. And for every single point it goes up, you earn $50. Every single point it goes down, you lose $50. And it's literally gambling. You know, it's gambling if you, um, if you don't use the tools properly. Okay, here's the thing, right? Let me demystify trading versus gambling in, inside of two minutes. Every time you take a trade, you're rolling a dice. And that dice must be weighted in your favor. If it's not weighted in your favor, you're gambling. 
if that dice is weighted in your favor, where you know 60% of the time, 70% of the time, 51% of the time, you're going to make money. This is a very simple analogy because it gets a little bit more complicated. And I'll talk about that in a second because this is where it gets more fun as a trader. But as long as your dice is weighted, you're going to keep rolling it. So each individual trade is 100% based off luck. If you want to use the word gamble, go ahead. It's not a gamble. It's based off luck. You're rolling the dice. The reason it's not a gamble is because it's weighted, which means that statistically, across a long enough period of time, it's impossible to lose money. It's only possible to make money because that dice is weighted. So while an individual trade is a risk, 100 trades should have very little risk um, simply because I'm rolling that weighted dice. So that's the difference between trading and gambling. With gambling, you don't care about the dice. You're not thinking about it because, I don't know, you're just being stupid or irresponsible. But with trading, you have to be careful. With Forex, like you said, you're basically applying leverage. You know, If you're making $50 every time it moves up by X, it's because you're applying leverage. Got it. Could you create a weighted dice with just one simple rule? Can it be as simple as buy every single time you hit a micro support band, sell when you hit a micro, the upper support band, and you just do that all the time and you have that's one percent edge and, and if you just keep doing that over a period of a long period you'll make a lot of money simple as always best man um an approach like that will make way more money than you know the guy that's got you know his macbook and ipad side by side with two different charts and you know throwing on three different indicators and drawing on it and you know looking at five different telegram channels and speaking to his friend about it and you know whatever like yeah you're gonna make more money than that guy for sure because you're doing something simple so yeah, my favorite, most simple form of having a weighted dice is in an asset that you believe will continue rising for me. That would be Bitcoin um, dollar cost average, which simply means buy a little bit every day, every week, every month with a set dollar amount. Like every, every month, I'm going to take $400 out of my paycheck, $100 a week, and I'm going to buy Bitcoin regardless of the price on Sunday night. And where you can make this a little bit more fun is, okay, I've gone from weekly purchases of $100 worth of Bitcoin, regardless of the price, now, every time Bitcoin trades down by more than 5% in that week, I'm going to buy $150. And every time Bitcoin trades up by more than X percent in a week, I'm going to buy $50. So you can start weighting it. Now you can start adding a layer of complexity where on down weeks, you're buying more and on up weeks, you're buying less, which as you'll hopefully notice, the opposite of most traders, because most traders only want to buy when the price is going up and they only want to sell when the price is going down. But obviously, if you like making money, you're not going to do that. Will it get harder and harder to create a weighted dice over time? Because isn't the weighted dice weighted against the education level of the market? So if everyone's doing the same thing, all of a sudden that dice is no longer weighted. Um, You know, that that's... Uh... I find this discussion interesting because it's been going around for decades, uh, you know, and, and literally another way of asking this is, um, well, it's, it's similar to the, to the discussion of self-fulfilling prophecies in trading, right? If everybody's a technical analyst, then TA doesn't work, you know, and to that I would say, but there are analysts that consistently make money over years. Are they just lucky? You know, and if you want to conclude that they're lucky, then okay, whatever. But if, if you want to look into it a little bit more, you'll see that they're adapting. When the market has a lot of fresh blood, when it's a bull market, when Bitcoin's breaking 20K for the first time, hitting 40K, hitting 60K, there's a lot of fresh blood. It's a very easy market, um, as I was saying towards the beginning. But when people start leaving, when the market starts looking less attractive, when you're making less money, you're losing money, uh, there's bearish headlines. Uh, you know, US is trying to ban crypto, China ban crypto again for the 14th time. India is trying to, to ban crypto as well. 
you know, and at the same time, you know, Michael Saylor says I'm losing confidence in Bitcoin, whatever, then yeah, fresh blood is going to leave and you're going to be left with the sharks and it will be harder to trade. So it's not that everyone's educating themselves necessarily. It's just that the bad traders are leaving. So you're kind of left with the good ones, you know, but the market changes. And that's one of the things that keeps trading fresh. That's why trading bots, for example, don't work nearly as well as people think they do, because trading bots are just designed to do one thing. But as soon as that thing has happened too many times, it's going to stop working. Exactly like you said, that's where the human comes in and says, all right, what are the characteristics that are changing? You know, where previously Bitcoin loved to form a certain pattern that looked like a right angle descending triangle. Now, Bitcoin loves to deviate, which means it will break a key level. It will look like it's about to start flying and it will fake out and come back down. That's called a deviation. So that deviation characteristic didn't really exist for Bitcoin in the way it does now years ago, but it exists now. And if you had been smart enough to spot that 12 months ago, you would have made a lot of money, you know? So uh, the dynamics change, what works changes. Um, and, and that's a big part of the job. It's probably the hardest part of the job because while all of this is changing, your emotions are also you know, going to play a factor. So where I might have made money following a certain strategy from June to August of last year, by September, I really need to change that strategy. But if I've made a lot of money between June to August, I'm going to have some level of emotional attachment to that strategy. And it's going to be hard to admit that it's time to change things. In fact, three months is a long time to be making money. It's going to get to my head a little bit. I'm going to have to battle my ego a little bit too. You know, I'm a good trader. Should I really be changing my strategy? Shouldn't I be following the advice of everyone that says just kind of stick, you know, stick with it until it works? You know, there are rough patches where everything that I'm doing should work, but doesn't. But it doesn't mean I should stop because after five months, it might start working again. And uh, I would have lost more money if I'm rapidly changing from strategy to strategy. So these are the debates that you have to have as a trader. A lot of traders that have been in the game for a while will tell you that it feels like psychological warfare 24 seven. And that is a very accurate analogy in my, in my mind. Trading is, yeah, everyone that, that sees the trading lifestyle on Instagram and whatever, you know, with like a private jet and nice tailored suits and a Rolls Royce taking you up to it. And, you know, your beautiful like plastic surgery girlfriend next to you as well. Like that is completely the opposite of real trade. Like the best traders I know are guys with very high levels of autism that you can't really even socialize with who, you know, just kind of live at home all day and they eat, sleep, breathe shit, you know, markets and financial news and stuff like that you know and, and the second best traders that i know after them are your you know your family guys that have a nice normal life they wake up at 7 a.m they have breakfast hit the gym they look at the market you know like just nice you know respectable structured lives it's only those two tiers of people that i've seen that kind of you know do well as traders so when you're sort of going through that mindset of like hey today i didn't do as well i'm using the same strategy could it be just like an off day? Could it be some news that affected things and it's not technical analysis? Should I actually change? Should I stick to one thing? Like there's so many reasons why it can't be, it's not working today. How do you know which path to pick? That's the hardest thing, man. And I struggled with it for a really long time. It's a constant struggle. It's one of those things where I'd almost say, I don't know if it gets easier or if you just get better at dealing with it. Um, but usually the way this goes is like challenges like this, th this is where trading is hard. This is where it's really, really hard. A lot of people will, that will either toughen up, learn, fix themselves and, and, and continue, or they'll just quit and take their L and, and, and go home and, and work their job again. You know, the way you handle this is trading journaling helps because, you know, we all analyze the markets. We want to look at the charts. We want to look at, you know, the fed interest rates or whatever. We want to look at all of this data, but we fail to analyze ourselves. 
and analyzing ourselves, our psychology, what happened on a given day, I will write, you know, what color t-shirt I wore on the day that I decided to make a profit, uh, I'm sorry, to make a trade, you know, and if it turns out that wearing red t-shirts tend to, you know, result in a bad, you know what I mean? Like, I'll just, I'll stop wearing, you know, the, the point I'm making there is I want to track all the little details. Did I have this one particular feeling that like, maybe I should just wait another four hours before, you know, one more confirmation, but I ignored it. And did ignoring it result in more losses on average than gains? If it did result in more losses on average, when I made the gain, did the gain turn out to be astronomical to the point where it doesn't matter? Because you know what I said earlier is you only need a 51% success rate. That's not true. A lot of traders can get by with a 30% success rate where every trade they're losing money, they only lose $10. But every trade they make money, that 30%, they're making $50, $100, now, all of a sudden, all those losses that you made previously don't matter. Uh, more specifically to your question, though, trading journaling helps a lot. Um, I think, you know, um, following other analysts and traders that are good, that have proven themselves over the years can be helpful. Now, the problem here is everyone talks shit. So it's kind of hard to know who's good and who's not. You'd have to do the work in terms of looking at their previous posts. And, you know, maybe with Twitter, you see if they've been deleting tweets and stuff like that. And then you kind of see like, you know, okay, this person for the last six months has, has been pretty sweet. It's a lot of work. I didn't say this would be easy. It's going to take time. But, you know, you kind of look at other people and you start seeing like, okay, this guy, you know, tends to focus on deviations a lot more and he's making money compared to this guy who is more interested in just normal chart patterns. He's not making as much money anymore. I'm not saying that we follow this guy, but let me pay a little bit more attention to deviations. Let me, let me see what he's saying. You know, and then you kind of find, so you just kind of like look at different people with different styles of analysis and you can kind of start to, you know, judge what should influence your analysis more in terms of like, okay, now I'm going to pay more attention to deviations. Now I'm going to pay less attention to, you know, um, a chart pattern, for example. So that's another thing, trading journaling, looking at others. Let me think of something else because uh, I want to give three right here. Uh, probably the third one I'd say is stop trading. Um, you know, a, a lot of the time just, just pressing the brakes um, helps, you know, if that means taking a week off, two weeks off, if it means just stop. Just stop basically. Um, trading should never, you know, be your whole life, in my opinion. Um, you know, like I said, the people that make the most money, it is their whole life, but you don't want to be like that. You don't want that kind of money. Um, you know, most people, they want money and a good life, you know? So I'd say uh, focus on something else in life and come back when a, when a good opportunity presents itself. It's not like you're going to get dumber if you wait two weeks, you know? And the market's always going to be there. That's, that's my take on that. One thing that I think you're right is probably the most difficult, like, let's say if a dice is weighted 50% that allows you to break even if it's weighted at 51% you're sticking to this one strategy it gives you that 1% edge so you're sort of making money how do you even know when that 51% weighted dice now becomes 49% and it sort of got less weighted and you don't even you can't even know that shift but I guess journaling might help but like it's yeah it's hard to tell if your strategy is no longer weighted in your favor you know, um, in an ideal world, you would come up with a strategy, replay the chart. There's a button on tradingview.com, which is like the main charting software that I use and everyone else I know. And there's a button called replay. It's a paid feature, I think, unfortunately, but it's not expensive. Um, you can replay the chart back to, you know, 
right now we're in you know March, April, 2023, we can replay this chart back to 2017, February, and I can just apply my strategy with a pen and paper next to me, you know, and just be like, all right, February 17, 2017, I would, uh, I would consider taking this trade, but I'm going to wait a few more days for confirmation. Okay. February 19 comes along. I'm ready to enter. I enter the trade and then I look at what happens up until February 24. And then that's when I would have closed and you apply that strategy with a pen and paper. If you have uh, a more advanced strategy, you can automate that. You know, it's not difficult to code a bot that kind of like paper trades historic, you know, information. So you're going to get your win rate from that. That's what you would do in an ideal world. If you're a more normal trader, almost a little bit like me in this sense, it's a more abstract, you know, I don't really ever look at what my success, it doesn't matter to me what my success rate is, as long as I'm just making more money. Like I don't care if it's 51% or 1%, as long as I'm making more money, but these are your more structured, like what you would learn if you go to like a trading school. Um, you know, how to do it safely and so on. And that's important ground level knowledge. You must have it. That's how you would back test. So, you know, like, okay, for six years, I'm averaging a 53% success rate. Is it going to be 53% in the next six years? Maybe not, but that's good enough, you know, for a lot of people to be like, all right, let me put, you know, $100 behind that. What's your thoughts on picking a simple strategy that has been back tested for the last two cycles or maybe even three cycles versus having a more flowy strategy where you're sort of pivoting, watching what the people who are experts in the space are doing and sort of constantly changing? Everyone's different. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of what you just said. You know, I mean, I, I stick to the basics that have worked and, you know, you need a little bit of... Um, you know, flavors on top, you know, it's a kind of supplement sometimes, you know, like uh, you can't keep the very same basic level of, of trading, in my opinion, and in my experience all the time, but you'll keep the same groundwork, you know, you'll have your car that you'll still have the same chassis, the same engine, but I'm just talking, you know, let me, let me change the color of the seats. Let me, you know, add some LEDs inside, like nothing crazy, but it makes a difference. And um, so a bit of a hybrid, you know, you need to, like I said, you need to be able to adapt. Got it, Sam. Sam, do you day trade, weekly trade, swing trade over months? Yeah, so I, I like to call it range trading. It's a really simple, boring uh, way of trading. And it's literally just uh, based on what I call liquidity gra uh, gaps. So uh, a, a liquidity gap would be, for example, Bitcoin up until like literally right now this month has never really traded between the levels of $25,000 and $30,000. That's a big gap. Like when Bitcoin first broke 25K, it shot straight up to 30K within less than a week. Mm. When Bitcoin fell below 30K, it shot straight down to 20, basically around there, and then came right back up within the same day. Mm. And then the next time we fell back down below 30K, we instantly fell down to 20 again within a few days. So that's a price range where we know historically the price doesn't really stick around. Like it's not reasonable to expect, in my opinion, based off what I just said, that Bitcoin will fall to 27 and just stay there, you mm -hmm. know, or that Bitcoin will, if Bitcoin's at 20K now, it's not reasonable to expect that Bitcoin will go up to 26 and a half and then just stop, you know, mm -hmm. and then fall back down. It usually goes the whole way. So it, it, it clears a range and that range is huge. 25K to 30K is a 20% range, if my math is correct, which again, in itself is not impressive, but with a bit of leverage, with 10X leverage, that can make you a lot of money. I actually traded that exact move I just described to you. I traded it down from 21K up to now 29, um, 180K profit. Um, and, and I only, you know, I mean, I put $100,000 into Bitcoin. If I bought Bitcoin normally at that price, I would have made nothing compared to what I did make. You know, you, you, you play with a little bit of leverage, you play these gaps. That That's how I like to trade. It's slow. That's why I said it's boring. Most of your life is waiting. 
uh, almost like fishing. Uh, you know, like I said, if you're making money, you're probably taking money out of, you know, someone who's impatient out of their hands. But, you know, the time will come. Obviously, those, those times always come. We do break key levels. It's normal. You know, when we break $69,000, then everything is a range. You know, like we can top out anywhere. Like I said, 73, 75, 100, 200. I don't know. But, you know, we're probably going to have a nice big gap after that. The risk comes in, you know, well, we could break 25K, but we could fake out. We could hit 25.5. That might be enough to tell me, all right, we've broken the key level. Let me let me let me trade this gap. But we reach twenty five point six, and then we drop back down. So we get a fake out, you know. So so that's where the risk comes in, and that's why you don't put all of your money behind a trade because even if everything is amazing and you did the best analysis you could have possibly done, you could still lose money, and you don't want to, you know, let that be a problem for you. So that's my style of trading. Um, that means that I'm in trades for a few days or weeks every time. Never more, never less. Rarely less. Sometimes it does happen less, actually. And usually not more than days. It's unusual for me to hold a trade longer than two weeks. And I never, ever, 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 ever day trade because you are competing against bots uh, and bots are smarter than you. That's it. It's, it's that simple. Bots are just going to outcalculate you uh, and, and completely screw you over 100% of the time. Interesting. So, Sammy, do you have like a daily trading schedule? What's your trading schedule like? Do you wake up 7 a.m. every morning and have that whole trader sort of routine? No way, man. No way. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a different, I'm, you know, I'm a lazy guy. I wake up when I wake up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I go to the gym, you know, when I'm ready. Uh, I come back, you know, eat good food, hang out with friends. Trading is not at all any primary focus in my life in terms of like how much time it takes up uh, but of course my mind is constantly thinking um, like i said most of it is, is waiting right like i have to wait until we break 25k in this case it took like four months you know so i did trade in between that time but uh you know for the most part if i'm waiting for that big juicy like what this trade is this really nice big game if i'm waiting for this gain i can't like if it's going to happen on sunday what can i do on monday tuesday wednesday up until sunday i can't I can't do any. I just wait. I just wait. I just make sure that I don't make a stupid mistake. I just make sure that I don't get trigger happy, you know, and, and start getting an itchy finger where I just feel like I need to execute trades like a degenerate gambler, which is how most traders are. You know, I just make sure that that doesn't happen. So I make sure I'm working on other businesses, that I'm hitting the gym, that I'm spending time with friends and family and reading books, whatever, just, you know, moving forward in life. And then when the trading opportunity is there, it's like, all right, let's log in. Let's do some work, you know, but that's it. Interesting. What sort of notifiers do you have? Like if it hits a certain key point that you've been watching, do you have like alarm that goes off on your, your phone and wakes you up at 2am and then you're running to your laptop and seeing what's happening? Yeah, um, I think alarms are the best way because it means that your time looking at the charts drops down to effectively zero. For me, uh, you know, I'm a YouTuber as well. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. So I look at the charts. I, you know, every time I open my phone, if I open my phone a hundred times a day, I might look at the chart 20 times a day, you know, and I'll just kind of, I won't even look at the chart. I'll just open the watch list. Uh, and I have a mental memory of where the price was because I know I literally checked it 30 minutes ago. Um, so I'll just like check the price and then, you know, go back to Instagram or whatever, you know, and, and that will be good enough. I think alerts are a better way to do it. Uh, and I think that's how most traders would, would make most money is if they just use alerts. Um, and then when the alert is triggered, now we broke 25K. Okay, let me sit on the computer and make sure you know, the, the plan I set two weeks ago is still a good plan. Um, and then I'll execute. So I think that's the best way to do it. As for waking up in the middle of the night, I mean, you know, I, I do it. I do it more because I enjoy trading, not out of obligation. 
And uh, a lot of the time I'll just kind of, you know, I'll wake up, I'll see something's happening. I'll be like, all right, I can't be asked to deal with this right now. And I'll, you know, I'll deal with it in the morning. And, uh, you know, if you had a good idea with your trade before you entered it, then that should be okay. You know, and if you didn't have a good idea to the point where maybe you put too much money in or you didn't have enough confirmation or whatever, then, yeah, you're going to wake up at 3 a.m., uh, you know, just to go to the toilet. But you're going to end up looking at the Bitcoin chart for the next 45 minutes because you're gambling because you're trading too much money, you're trading when you're not sure of what you're doing, yeah, you're going to run into a lot of problems. So when you're talking about liquidity gaps, how let's say it breaks 25 and at, with based on history, if it breaks 25, it will always go up to 30. It doesn't sort of go up and sit in between. If it took three months to get back up to 25 versus one month versus six months versus there was like major dips, would that plan still stick based on what happened prior to get to that point? Uh, do you mean if it takes a long time to get back up to 25k? Um, yeah. So yeah, you're just playing the waiting game. It could take six months or one month, like you said, and it doesn't matter. You just, uh, you do your duty. You just wait, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's the part that really upsets people, you know, because they start trading. They're like, okay, I just opened my, uh, my Binance account. <laughs> you know, let me, let me push some buttons and, and make some money appear with magic. And that's not how it works. Yeah, if you need to wait, you wait and you just shut up about it <laughs> and that's it. You know, like there's no nice way to say it. You just wait. Uh, and if you don't, you'll lose money. I promise you. Now, when it hits 25, will your plan stay the same despite what happened prior? So many ways. Yes. Go ahead. Well, you know, if, if it took a very long time to reach 25K and now we're finally here, I'm actually going to be much more confident because if we've been in an area of low volatility where the price doesn't move much and then we get up to 25k it probably means we've left that area of low volatility and we have now entered an area of high volatility and i'm talking about bitcoin i don't know about like specific stocks and forex pairs behave differently but bitcoin behaves in this way where if it's been quiet for a long time when it wakes up it is a dragon it is breathing fire and destroying everything in its path, whether it's moving up or down. So I'm going to be way more confident. If it's been a shorter space of time, I'm actually going to be more likely to have cold feet. I'm going to be like, all right, well, we did get back up to 25K, but okay, in this case, it was easy because we had the banking crisis and everything and gold is going up and the dollar is dropping. So it's the perfect environment to be in Bitcoin right now. So it was very easy. But if the environment was different, if it turned out that actually for you know the corruption ended overnight and banks are suddenly no longer greedy pigs uh, bankers are no longer suddenly greedy pigs and everyone's like nice with the banking system then yeah i might be a little bit less confident in bitcoin if i get you know what i mean like it's a weird analogy but you know different things will uh, will impact how confident i am in my trade but waiting longer has been a good sign in my experience got it now different scenario if they're both like let's say both six months to get to that point one of the scenarios it took six months but there was a lot of dips back up, dips back up versus the second scenario, it just sort of stagnated for six months and then it got to 25. Would you still stick to the same strategy for both scenarios? That's hard to say because uh, even in the second example you gave me, we could have had a lot of dips, right? The dips just might've been smaller mm. um, because at the end of the day, if you're going sideways, you're still doing this, right? Like, yes. or, or you're doing like this and then like this, but you're still just kind of like, you know, so it's either this or it's this, but you're mm. still like, you're still getting dips. Um, if we're dropping lower, you know, like, okay, if Bitcoin fell down to $9,000, then getting up to 25, you've already pulled the two and a half times gain. So at what point 
you know, do you start saying, all right, look, you know, maybe maybe this is a bit too much considering we are still in a bear market, right? Where we, you know, e even now, even now when Bitcoin has pulled an 80% rally from its low to its high, you know, like 15K to 28, we've nearly, you know, more than 80%, you know, we've nearly doubled, you know, the low, you know, we have to start out, like we're still in a bear market. That's clear. Um, you know, we're not out of the bear market. We're not bullish yet. Uh, we're not, we're not on a bull market yet, I should say. Um, you know, so at what point is it like, all right, well, you know, we've probably risen up by too much. 80% in a stock might be too much. For Bitcoin, Bitcoin went from 3K to 14K and stayed in a bear market. Bitcoin pulled like a 5X gain and stayed in a bear market. You know, so I think we've got a little bit more to go in that sense. If we dip lower, that's going to increase my confidence because that's telling me a lot of smart people have bought lower. It's telling me that we've, this is the key thing is that we've tested the lows, right? Like if we've been below 15K, if we've been below 20K and now we're back up to 25, that's telling me that the market really uh, is done with those low price levels. You know, that if we had the strength to get this high, then, you know, it only takes one more fat fingered buy order to send the market flying into an area where we already know there's no liquidity. We already know the market doesn't hang around in this area. It just zips straight up. It just teleports straight up. So um, dips are reassuring, but only up to a point. That's super cool. So Sam, you take in everything to account. Like you sort of have a general rule where it's like, if it, with the liquidity gaps, you sort of know what happens, but you sort of definitely take into account if it took six months, one month, if there was a lot of dips, if there was less smaller dips, you take into every account and then you sort of adjust your plan a bit. Yeah, yeah, but, but I wanna make it very clear that if you don't do those extra things, you'd probably still make a lot of money following a simple strategy because mm. I, like, this is assuming that you're not being stupid with your you know, risk management and stuff, you know, you're putting a you know, sensible amount of money into each trade, you'll still probably make a lot of money. Taking these other factors into account are more a function of me just genuinely being interested. And also, you know, if, I, if I'm at a 60% success rate, I wanna do this extra work to get up to a 64%. You know, uh, as an, again, these numbers are abstract. I don't know my success rate. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I want to I want to get that extra edge like that. That extra edge at a large enough trading volume will make a real difference. It might even tell me, as it did on this occasion, that I can enter significantly earlier than I planned. Right. I originally planned on entering this trade at 25.5, but I entered at 21.5, you know, so. I got a way better entry level just because I was paying attention. So, you know, you don't need to. I still would have made a lot of money if I went long above 25. I made a lot more because I was paying attention, you know? So I think that's that can be helpful. Um, but always, always, always at the beginning, you just want to keep it simple. You know, you want to get to grips with how it feels to make a mistake and, and lose money, you know, and, and to, to get numb to it, basically, I think is, is, is an important part, you know? So um, you, you don't, you don't want to you don't want to complicate it at the beginning. Got it. And Sammy, is there any way to make money when the price goes down? Is there like any options like shorting? Can you short Bitcoin and how does that work? So, so that, that's, that's like I said, I mean, from like 7K down to 6.3 with that analogy I gave earlier, that's a 10% drop. I can go short on Bitcoin, um, you know, which means, um, let, me, let me get this right. It's complicated uh, the way to describe this. When you go short, you are borrowing the asset from the exchange and then immediately selling it and you're keeping that cash. And then when the price drops, you're buying that asset back with the cash that you used to borrow the asset. You're buying the asset back and the difference is yours because you got a discount on the asset. So let me, let me put numbers on this. I'm buying $100,000 worth of Bitcoin at 7K and then I'm instantly selling it. So I own zero Bitcoins and $100,000. Now the price drops down to 
6,300, each Bitcoin is 10% cheaper. So to buy back the same, you know, what is it like 15 Bitcoins, I'm spending 10% less money. So I'm spending $90,000 to get the same 15 Bitcoins. I don't know if my math is right. It doesn't matter. I'm spending this, I'm spending $90,000 to get the same amount of Bitcoin back. I give the Bitcoin back to the exchange and I keep the difference. I keep that 10K. Does that make sense? Is that complicated? Is there any leverage in that or is it all zero leverage? That is with leverage. Yeah, yeah. Because I would be, um, this is the thing is you can't go short without leverage, right? Like the, the, what happens when you go short without leverage is you sell, that's selling, but you don't make anything, right? Like if Bitcoin goes from 7K to 6.3 and then you rebuy Bitcoin, yes, okay, you have your know, 1.X Bitcoin instead of just one, uh, but you're not making any extra dollars. Right. So that only becomes interesting if Bitcoin goes from 6.3 to 12, you know, now, okay, I've had, a, now I have 10% more Bitcoin. So that's good. I, you know, instead of making $200,000, I'm making 220, for example, mm -hmm. that's nice, but you don't make money from it dropping unless you use leverage. Yeah. And, and that is, so that, this is the hardest concept to describe, Yeah. Uh, but this is as far as it goes in terms of difficult to understand. Okay, cool. Don't even need to understand it it doesn't you know it's not required i, I don't understand how leverage actually works until you know a long time it's it's not necessary you're selling an asset and buying it back cheaper that's what happens when you go short got it and then when you're still doing that selling and buying and you, if you do buy it cheaper who's making the loss is it the people who are longing or is it the exchange because they're lending you something that now has gone down in value the exchange doesn't make a loss um you're you're always buying and selling uh you know with someone else it, it, you know peer-to-peer -peer in that sense, but through an exchange. So you and me are trading, but there is a middleman, the transaction. So the exchange, that's a that's too oversimplified, but kind of works for this example. You know, so the exchange never loses money. Um, they're charging you a fee. You know, when you, when you borrow that money, you're paying a fee, which might be like 0.1%. And to keep your position open, you know, most exchanges, every eight hours, they charge you a fee just to keep it open. And that will be a fee on the total trade size. So if I put 10K in with 10X leverage, I'm paying the fee on $100,000, not on 10K. Mm. Uh, and that fee might be, you know, 0.05% or whatever every eight hours, which, you know, if you keep your position open for many eight hour you know, periods, uh, that fee is going to rack up. But, you know, as for the guy that's losing money on the other side, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, you would never meet him it's, it's, uh, or her, you know, it's, it's an exchange. So what happens if there's just way more people shorting than longing? How do they fulfill it if there's like a, there's like a mismatch? If a lot of people are shorting, which happens all the time when the market is crashing, if a lot of people are longing, which happens all the time when the market is rapidly rising, you're just going to have a very thin order book. So an order book is uh, every trader on the exchange puts in an order of, you know, like I want to sell X amount of Bitcoins at 30K, Y amount at 31K and so on. That creates an order book. And we have an order book with bits. So everything lower than the current price an order book with us, everything above the current price. The order book is going to be very thin potentially in, in the example that you're describing. So there's not going to be many bids. People aren't bidding to buy because they're scared. So everyone that's selling is rapidly crashing that order book and the bids are just evaporating there. I mean, you go from 25 to 24 instantly. It's the same way we go from 25 to 28 so quickly because nobody wants to sell. Everybody's bullish. Nobody wants to sell. So the only thing we have right now are buyers and there are very limited asks. Nobody's asking to sell Bitcoin at 27, 28, 29. Everyone's trying to sell at 30. So the price very quickly goes up. Here's where it gets interesting. That's like basic analysis. In the current present day world, we have bots that are designed to screw you over. So if everybody is going long, what generally happens is we'll crash 
you know, some fat fingered sell order will hit the market, crash. So everyone that's trying to go long has their stop loss or their liquidation level. They get shut out of the trade. They get forced out of the trade. And the only way to close any long position, or in this case, many long positions, is to sell. If you bought Bitcoin and you have an open position where you're holding Bitcoin, the only way you can close that position is by selling it. So now you're selling and you're forced to crash the market even more. So this is what's called a long squeeze. If too many people go long, we get squeezed. Where the market drops down to a key level, that key level triggers long positions to get closed. And the only way to close a long position is selling more. So the order book just keeps dropping down. Then everyone's scared. The dumb people go short. We've got the sharks and the sheep. The sheep go short. Uh, everyone's uh, you know, getting scared, the market's gonna crash. And then we go back up and that's our deviation. Our deviation happens down here. Everyone gets tricked. Then we go back up and the market actually beats. Uh, and, and so what we're doing there is we're clearing liquidity. I say we, I'm not doing this, but the exchange or whatever, brokers, Illuminati, whatever, they are um, you know, stopping you out of your position, collecting those trading fees, collecting that liquidity, and then taking the market up and, and doing what they wanted to do with it in the first place. Sammy, I understand how there's order books when you just buy and sell Bitcoin. Are there also order books for leverage trading and order books for shorts and longs? And those are completely different sections of Binance. Well, yeah, yeah. So you've got spot and you've got derivatives. Mm. And up until very recently, you, you can't, I don't even know how it works. You can't use leverage on spot. I don't know how it's an industry standard now. I don't know how it works, but you know, you, you'd be trading leverage on a derivative pair, which would have a separate order book, mm. which means that it's almost like I come to you, I run an exchange and I'm like, hey, come trade my Bitcoins. I wrote down Bitcoin on paper and this represents a Bitcoin. Do you trust me? And you're going to say, yes, I trust you because 10,000 other people are doing the same thing. So it, we just kind of make it work. And then as long as you're with a, you know, legit, you know, provider, uh, the, you know, legit exchange, it's not going to be a problem. So you're trading a completely different made up fantasy thing that, correlates very tightly with the real price of Bitcoin, because if the difference deviates too much, arbitrages enter the space, arbitrage trading. This is where gold is more expensive in India than it is in DRC in Africa. So I'm going to buy it in Africa and sell it in India, uh, you know, to, to pocket that difference. I'm not doing any work. It's extremely easy. If Bitcoin is trading at 25K on Coinbase, but 24k on Binance, I'm going to buy it on Binance, send it to Coinbase and sell it there. Uh, you know, and, and in this way, uh, any discrepancies get evened out. While you are trading a completely made up derivative, it's derived from Bitcoin, uh, it will very closely hug Bitcoin's price action. Sometimes we get differences where, you know, the derivative pair trades $300 lower than the spot pair, uh, you know, and, and that can also give you an edge that can tell you, okay, well, Leverage traders are, are, you know, selling Bitcoin pretty aggressively right now. What kind of leverage traders? Is it the, is it retail or is it top traders? You know, and we can look at that data. If it seems that retail traders are excessively short right now, you know, and Bitcoin is at a nice support level and, you know, it looks like it could bounce. Okay, you know, maybe I want to buy some, you know, but if top traders are, are aggressively short and retail traders are aggressively long, well, you know, guess who's generally going to be right. Got it. Are bots trading derivatives or spot trading? So yeah, derivatives are, um, you know, you're, you're trading gold, uh, buying physical bars, that would be the equivalent of spot. And, um, and then, you know, versus trading it on your brokerage account with a bit of leverage, that would be, you know, that would be, a, you know, you're not trading gold, you're trading, a, you're trading something that is derived from gold so that it's, you know, you can't, you can't leverage physical gold, but you can leverage, you know, paper gold. So, so you're, you're trading something that's derived from the main asset. Got it. And what are bots usually trading? 
or where do you usually see the bots? Oh, wow. You, you see them everywhere. Bots are everywhere. Um, most of the trading happens with bots, especially on lower time frames. Yeah, uh, bot, bots are trading everything. Um, anyone can make a bot. Anyone can plug that bot into any market. You know, the, the bot just starts executing trades. Interesting. And what are your thoughts on bots? Like, you're right. Like, they could literally make 0.05% gains every two hours. And over a year, that adds up to pretty decent returns. And you want to aim for small returns. 1% every single day for a year. It's Japanese word, Kaizen, I think it is. You're making a 37 times increase after a year if you're making 1% a day. So you want to go for the small ones. I'm sorry, what was your question about bots? One, what are your thoughts on it? And two, actually, how do bots crash buy books? Like, for example, as a normal dollar cost average trader, like I'd put like, you know, $5,000 at every resistance band. And every time it drops, I buy five, so I'm happy. And if it drops further, I'd buy more, so I'm happy. But what are the negatives? Or like, how does a bot crash things and stuff up the market? So first of all, how bots will trade depends on the person who makes the bot. I could, you know, there are things called moving averages, which are literally, uh, you know, I could have a 20 day moving average, which on the current day, we'll look at the previous 20 days of prices and it will calculate the average and it will put that on the current day. Um, so that gives me a nice smooth line tracing the price action. I could say that in, a, in, a, in an uptrend, every time the price falls down to that line, I buy. I can automate that and put it on a bot and that's it. Or it can be much more advanced. That's how bots would do it as a basic example. Now, bots might do it very differently. Bots might not even use you know, If you analyze the sentiment of Elon Musk's tweet when he tweets about anything related to dogs, if it sounds like a positive thing, the bot could just instantly buy Shiba token, instantly buy Doge token. You know, so it doesn't have to be based off technicals. So that, that's how bots work. And then uh, the second part of the question, sorry, what was that? How does it like, you know how you talked about how sometimes bots would come in and that would manipulate the market and crash buy books and, and yeah. So um, what you're describing would, you know, you, you we're talking, I think, primarily about liquidity grabs. I don't actually know a lot about how it works. This is stuff that happens behind closed doors. Um, there's not a lot of information available to the public by design. Obviously, they wouldn't want you to know. But primarily, the way this is going to happen is, yeah, you'll have one fat, fat-fingered sell, fat-fingered buy, you know, whatever, just a big, a big buy or a big sell, and that will panic the market. Uh, other bots will try trading it. Humans will try trading it, and then you know we'll find a direction. The direction might be down, and they might kind of trigger a move like that. But there, I mean, there's a million ways that you you know that a, that a bot can influence the market. Um, I, in my experience, haven't found it hugely beneficial to learn about them, other than to learn when bots are active, um, because when bots are very active, the market is too dangerous to trade. And that happens when there's less liquidity in the market, which is another way of saying uh, that happens when people are not trading. Um, when, when humans are not interested, the only things remaining are bots. And bots uh, can generally, you know, you can tell if, if you've been around for long enough, um, you know, when a bot is trading just based off the way the price is moving, you know, which, for example, might mean big spike up completely sideways and a big spike down. And then you have Bart Simpson's head. And that would be, uh, you know, a human wouldn't do that. If, if it was human trading, we would slowly go up with dips and stuff like that. You know, might mess around a little bit at the top and then, uh, you know, maybe have a fake out and then come back down and then slowly trend down. You know, but bots are just sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the bots are a little bit more concealed than that. So it, it's a big question mark. Nobody really knows. Fortunately, people, charlatans don't even claim to know. So that's nice because it's, um, you know, unless, unless you're the one that made the bot or is in control of it, you're not really going to know. The way these bots work that I'm describing are illegal in like most stock markets and stuff. They're, they're a real problem. But um, in crypto, uh, 
there's no regulation, right? So you can you can just do whatever you like. So I mean, when there's those big trigger buys and sell, let's say a corporation comes in, they buy like a bunch of sell limits and it brings a price down and then they just clear a bunch of sell limits or sell orders. How do they have confidence that it's going to dip back up and they'll be able to buy or, or sell? Like, how do they know it would dip back up and they'll be able to make gains from what they did? So um, it will be from the same things we're discussing. They'll do their own analysis and they'll form their own ideas. But a lot of the time, they don't need that second move to happen, right? Like that first move is enough. Think about it. If you're on exchange and you get paid every time someone opens or closes a trade, but you get paid more if they get liquidated, or you get paid more if they use a market order as opposed to a limit order, which means I go to the exchange and I'm just like, sell right now. I don't care what the price is. Just sell. Give me the best price possible. That's a market order. A limit order would be we're at 25, sell at 25,010. You know, so I'm a little bit more specific. Now the exchange is doing less work for me. The fee for that is lower. A lot of the time when people are getting stopped out, they're using market orders. And when you're getting liquidated, you're only using market orders. So you get paid a higher fee. So all you need to do is start the crash and then you get paid for it. Uh, I want to be very clear. No exchange will ever admit to doing this because it's highly unethical, but it's very obvious that it happens. My exchange of choice is Bybit. Love them. Been with them for many years. They might not do it. They may, they might not. I don't know. They might not do it, but it will happen on other exchanges. So the same price action will probably happen on Bybit too, because if it didn't, we would have an arbitrage opportunity and we just get evened out. Bots do a lot of that arbitrage work, by the way. So don't even, don't even bother. If you're human, don't even bother, uh, you know, cause, cause bots will do it faster than you. Do you think bots would kill all technical analysis? Like let's say someone has a strategy. I've been hearing this for years, maybe with AI, but I, I don't, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, you know, humans are still making money. I've heard it for so long, man. I know one guy who I love very dearly who used to be a trader and he stopped partially. One of the reasons he stopped was, you know, because he was con concerned that bots have already made it too hard and that they'll continue to make it too hard for, for humans. You know, and, and when you do that, uh, you know, like, well, I, I didn't stop, you know, and uh, I, I'm, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, not, not in a cocky way, but like, you know, you can choose to be scared of bots and then not make any money, or you can choose to be wary of bots and understand how they work and then still risk your capital in safe ways uh, and then maybe make money or, or maybe lose money, you know? But um, I'm not concerned about bots right now. Uh, I think with AI, it's very concerning. ChatGPT is probably just months away, if not weeks, from having uh, you know, really good integration with real-time data. You know, right now you can you can already use Bing. You can already write and read from the web in real time with ChatGPT plugins. So it's changing. Uh, you know, it might even not work by the end of the year. But um, I've been hearing this stuff for a very, very long time, and people have been talking about this for decades. Trading has become harder, no doubt. Trading has become harder as a result of bots. In some areas, like short time frame trading, trading or day trading. It's as close to impossible as you could get. I don't know how people make money day trading. I'm fairly certain they're all lying, you know, unless they're, you know, one of those types that I told you about before. You're very, you know, socially awkward, gifted, talented traders that just kind of like come out of the womb and just know how to trade kind of thing. You know, those guys, obviously, they'll, they'll, they'll make money as day traders, but normal people won't, you know, so bots have made it more difficult. But I, I don't, I'm not concerned about it right now. But I didn't let you finish your question. So sorry about that. Uh, totally fine. I was just going to say how like if someone always trades between if there's like a 1% gap every single day, let's say Bitcoin's at 20,000 and it goes up to 
$20,050 or $20,100 and they keep buying and selling during that gap, couldn't a bot just come in and just sort of buy and sell $1 before that and then sort of just, and then bots would just keep doing that and all of a sudden no one has any gap to trade? Yeah, um, they, they could, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty simple way that a bot could, um, you know, out-trade you, front-running basically, yes. front-run you. That happens, but it doesn't invalidate trading ranges. Trading yeah. ranges still exist. Um, you know, right now we've been sideways for 12 days between 26.7 and 28.7. You know, so bots didn't screw that up. You know, if you, if you, I don't think you could have reasonably, reasonably known to buy at 26.7. That, that is not, you know, a particularly smart area to buy Bitcoin in my opinion, but it was smart to sell at 28.6. Um, because we knew that's a resistance area just because of prior stuff that happened on the chart. So you mm. could have just been shorting every top, you know, uh, with 10x leverage. And then, you know, you have a rule that every time you make 20%, you just close and go home, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. What's your thoughts on, um, Bitcoin to a million dollars in the next 90 days? Have you heard, seen that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Balaji. Um, look, here's the thing. Bitcoin isn't going to go to a million dollars because of extreme levels of demand alone like when, when every when people talk about a million dollar bitcoin they're thinking everybody and their nan wants to buy bitcoin everyone's dog also wants to buy bitcoin and it's just the most exciting glamorous thing ever everyone's using it it's it's paradise lightning network works all, all, all that stuff bitcoin is not going to reach a million dollars that way at least now because i mean people i mean you, you need a very big public opinion change you know like the world would have to collapse for bitcoin so money, to even have a chance million. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the other part. But there's two things here. First of all, yes, a lot of money would help to, to take Bitcoin up to a million dollars. But see, the last time when Bitcoin fell from 64 to 30 and went back up to 69, that leg from 30 to 69 was not driven by buying pressure. It was driven by an absence of selling pressure. So if we go back to the order book, if the order book is very thin and you don't have a lot of asks, you can easily take Bitcoin anyway. This is why shit coins pump 500%. 5,000% because nobody's selling them, right? So if nobody's selling them and you have a little bit of, you know, sustained buying pressure, you know, like if I want to buy a thousand, it's not much. If I want to buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, but each ask for Bitcoin is only worth $50, you know, every, you know, every thousand dollar gap I, I, to spend all of my thousand dollars, I would shoot the price very, very high, but I didn't actually buy a lot of, you know, I didn't actually put a lot of dollars behind it. So that's what happened. The last time Bitcoin went from 30 to 69, and it's the reason that I was very wary of a market top, um, you know, and it, it, go on. When that doubled or tripled, did the market cap also double or triple, or does it not necessarily have to correlate to market cap? Market cap correlates for sure with Bitcoin specifically, because Bitcoin has a fixed supply that nobody can mess with. Um, you know, so market cap is just a calculation of price multiplied by circulating supply. So gold, for example, is the price of gold multiplied by every ounce of gold that we know exists. And that's how we get the 12, 13 trillion market cap. Um, so that doesn't change, you know, with, with, a, with a shit coin where, you know, like, or XRP, which is a brilliant example of a shit coin, you know, like that, you can just like print XRP anytime you like. And, and so, yes, you know, circulating supply might change, market cap might, you know, get messed with a little bit as a result. But the thing, linking this back to a million dollars, like, you know, we, we, yes, a lot of people could buy Bitcoin or a lot of people could just choose not to sell Bitcoin and we'd still go up. But the catch is that if you don't do it the right way with organic buying pressure, that means you've had no selling pressure. And if you have no selling pressure, it's not going to stay that way forever. Eventually that selling pressure came back 
when Bitcoin was at $69,000, and we crashed really hard because the whole time the market was going up, it never experienced any real selling pressure. There were no real buys sustaining this price action. So when a modest amount of selling pressure re-entered the market, it just crushed the very limited buying pressure that existed. And we got big crashes. So that's like two reasons so far for why we're not going to a million dollars soon. But the other big one, uh, and Balaji's main theory was hyperinflation, um, or just very, very large. It, would, it can only be hyperinflation. The problem with this is, you know, if you got a million dollar Bitcoin anytime soon, you'd probably also have a $10,000 loaf of bread. Um, inflation would just be really bad. So in addition to your money being worth less, like, okay, yes, your, your Bitcoin's worth a million dollars now, but your money is worth 10 times less as well. So it's kind of just like it's worth $100,000. In addition to that, uh, you now have rampant crime and everybody wants to kill you and rob you and society is collapsing and unemployment is through the roof. A 90-day $1 million Bitcoin is, is only something to be celebrated if you are ignorant or a psychopath. There's, there's no in between. And I think um, Balaji falls into the psychopath territory in this case, to be honest, because um, he says he doesn't, you know, he says he's not happy about inflation. Nobody, nobody likes to see rampant inflation, but a lot of Bitcoin holders are fucking weird, you know, and they, they would just celebrate society collapsing, you know, to see a higher price of Bitcoin. Um, we're not getting there without hyperinflation and nobody wants hyperinflation because it's bad for the world. You know, if it's bad for America, it's bad for the world. Everyone's going to suffer. Wow. You helped me realize that there's so many variables with the price. Like, what's the market cap of Bitcoin at the moment, Sammy? 540 billion, I think. Got it. So if it had to go, like, if Bitcoin were to go from 30K to a million, the market cap would have to, like, go up to, like, more than 10 trillion. So all the gold money, even that's not enough to get Bitcoin to a million. But it's not as simple as just putting money in, like people are holding. So like the supply is like, that's what you're selling, right? You're, you're buying and selling the 10% of people that are willing to buy and sell. So like there's so many variables, not just the market cap, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, it, that, that is the case. And um, I, I'm just trying to do some quick math on this right now. I can't even read the number, but a market cap uh, for, for Bitcoin at a million dollars is a million times 19 million, because that's currently roughly the circulating supply of Bitcoin, which puts Bitcoin at $19 trillion uh, market cap, which makes Bitcoin about yeah 50% bigger than gold. And in an event like that, gold would probably rise up as well, obviously, if the dollar is crashing, people buy gold, right? It's always been that way. Um, so with that 20 trillion, does it necessarily have to have $20 trillion of money go into Bitcoin? Or is it not that? Got it. So, so this, this is the thing about market cap and why it's misleading. Um, yeah. If you have an illiquid market where people aren't trading, like you could have a shit coin that you launched yesterday um, and I could sell it, to, you could sell it to me for $50, but the circulating supply can be 10 billion. And you know, now we've got to multiply $50 by 10 billion. But what's that mm -hmm. 500 billion market cap? Now, now your shit coin is worth exactly as much as Bitcoin, yeah. uh, you know, market cap wise, but it's just that no one's trading it. You know, so it's an illiquid market. So market cap is a misleading uh, number for that reason. But as long as you know that, you, you can reasonably use market cap to, you know, you wouldn't use market cap to understand how big a shitcoin is because it's manipulated. But Bitcoin, although it is manipulated, is much more liquid. Got it. So that means when people say in order for Bitcoin to go from 30 to 60K, there needs to be 500 billion of dollars entering the market for that to do so. That's not true. 
I, I never understood where this came from. It really confused me. Yeah. Um, I mean, put it this way. If you put 500 billion, you'd look at the order book right now. The order book right now with people asking to sell Bitcoin up to say $100,000. Mm. If you wanted to instantly send Bitcoin flying up to $100,000 now, you'd have to put an X, call it $500 billion. If you actually deployed the first 100 billion of that money into the market, bots would react. You'd have more sell orders, for example. And all of a sudden, your $500 billion would only take you up to 35K and then arbitrages would bring the price back down uh, because you only bought it on one exchange. So every other exchange is still trading at 30 uh, or 28. Um, yeah. they'll, they'll just kind of arbitrage it back down and then maybe you end at like 29, 30, which is why, you know, when you have a very large amount of capital, you want to, uh, you don't, you want to spook, spook the market. This is, this is what you don't, you don't want to spook the market. You want to deploy that money sensibly. Got it. Sammy, what's been your main focus at the moment? Fitness, fitness, life. I'd say those things have, um, have, have been the main focus. Uh, you know, trading, for example, is always just kind of like as and when, you know, I'm not in control of when I can trade. I just wait for the market to give me something nice. So, uh, it, it's never my primary focus as far as what my time goes into. Um, it's, it's always just kind of, um, yeah, lately it's been, yeah, eating clean, living a good life, traveling, you know, just came back from Japan. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. One thing is it, is it like a common thing? Like I was surprised you were talking about how trading is like 90% of your revenue. Like it's not common for influencers to have 90% of their revenue come from the thing they teach. Right? Yeah. And if, if, if it was skewed the other way, I'd be much richer because there's way more money in being an influencer than there is in being a trader. Um, at, at my stage, because I mean, even though I'm trading with a hundred thousand dollars, still not that much money. There's a lot more money in being an affiliate marketer. Uh, most YouTubers that are in the crypto space are just affiliate marketers. They understand the basics of TA, so they sound smarter than you know the bottom eighty percent. And then they sell them stuff, um, you know, and, and they get big sponsorships. They get insider information. They get access to you know, closed opportunities that normal people don't get, and they make you know, crazy money from that stuff. That's just how it is. But um, I like being a trader. Um, and, and I like, uh, what's the word? It's not sincerity. I like knowing that I'm not doing something that's, uh, a lie. Basically it's a big deal. You know, like all, all the top influencers are, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, like in, in terms of what they make, but you know, it, it's just how it is. Yeah. Interesting. Sammy, do you see yourself just trading daily and sort of slowly increasing your, the, the funds you can manage? And then sort of just keep compounding that to the $50 million mark where you can get the private jet, can get the yacht, or do you have to pivot? No, no, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan is to um, keep trading and I'm running my businesses anyway. So the businesses fund my trading account still, um, you know, it doesn't really need to happen now. And, you know, now I have a bigger company, got to pay staff or whatever, um, R and D, you know, developer costs, whatever, but, um, I'm a businessman too. Uh, being a trader, being a trader is basically being a businessman anyway. Um, it's being a psychologist in a sense too. And, um, you know, so, so I, I wear a few different hats. Um, uh, my path to 50 mil will be, uh, will be a combination of trading and businesses. Got it. And then like, if you were to sort of just trade and make 10% gains every single year, it would take a very, very long time to get to that $50 million mark. You'd have to do 50% returns every year, keep compounding, duplicating, tripling your money. But then I think Warren Buffett said apparently like big firms, hedge funds, like they can't, like if you put money into the S&P 500, it will outperform 99% of like big quant firms 
and hedge funds. So like, what's missing? Like, how do you get to that big mark? And how do you consistently do those crazy turns when these big firms can't? I don't know why people give their money to those companies, to be honest. I am very strongly against that philosophy. As a, as a Bitcoiner, I believe that everybody should have complete custody of their funds um, because otherwise someone can steal it from you, like the bank or the government and um, or an ex-wife or any number of other things. Um, you know, you could whatever you should have custody of your money. Like it's kind of, you know, to me, it's very obvious at this stage. But, you know, I mean, for, for most people, they don't they don't even think about it. They just kind of follow the system that they were shepherded into. Uh, you know, with, with their parents and teachers and so on. And an extension of that is, you know, yes, okay, now you're taking custody of your funds, but you should also be fully responsible of what happens to your money, which means, yeah, like you got to educate yourself, which kind of sucks, but uh, money is a big part of most people's lives, you know? So spending, you know, six months studying what money is, uh, the economy, understanding how the Federal Reserve works, understanding supply and demand, the psychology of markets, isn't a big ask, I think, for one lifetime, you know? You, put aside a good amount of time to study it, read books, maybe buy a course, whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter, but to learn, um, I think that's important. And I think that's what would be suited to most people is uh, taking more independence and responsibility of their money. As for, you know, why big companies don't do it, uh, you know, don't, don't achieve good returns. Um, you know, a lot of them are working safely. Uh, you know, you got to imagine if you're a big family that's got a hundred million dollars in a family office, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to want them to take big risks. Um, you know, when, when you want to take big risks or, or, or when you don't, you know, is, is when you don't have money, when you're, when you start out from, from little. So, um, you know, then, you know, while the S and P 500 might make that eight, 10% a year, again, I want to make that eight, 10% in a few, in a, in a, in a, in a few hours. Right. Uh, I don't have a hundred million dollars where I can comfortably live off, you know, half of my interest, you know, my half of my four, you know, $8 million profit per year. You know, so I can just kind of comfortably live off four mil. I don't, I don't have that starting point. So I'm trading more aggressively. And yeah, you know, then, then when you have more money, you have more, more to protect. So you want to put it in a safer place. Got it. And I'm also assuming that if your capital 100x and you're still trading the same every day, you're going to affect the movement of, the, of that one asset you're trading. So that's why you can't just like do it at a big scale. Yeah, so that, that's liquidity issues, and that's where I was mentioning you got to be careful about how you deploy your money. As you, but you're not going to have that problem for a long time. You, you have to you have to have a lot of money to to affect Bitcoin, for example. Okay, obviously, okay. You know, again, a smaller coin, a smaller coin will be less liquid. Even Ethereum, you know, is a lot easier to move than Bitcoin. That's why Bitcoin moves up two percent, Ethereum moves up by four percent, for example. It's just less liquid. It's more volatile, and it's smaller, um, so it's riskier as well. So you know, you would um, you would take these things into account. So Sammy. Is there any bottlenecks? You know how you were talking about how, you know, you don't want to make five to 10% of a year. You'd want to make that in a day, a few hours, a few days. Can you just keep doing that forever? Cause like, that's like hundreds of percents of returns a year. Is there any bottlenecks? Would things change when you have the larger capital? Why can't you continue doing that when you do have larger capital and why aren't people doing that? With what you just described, it would be hard to find the bottleneck. You'd have to trade with incredibly large sums of money. I guess the problem you could run into is when you trade with really large sums of money, and I'm talking more than a million dollars for leverage in Bitcoin specifically right now, 2023, this is this will change. Um, the number was smaller before, the number will probably be bigger in the future. You know, you might run into problems where your orders are so big that bots start to recognize them and, you know, um, ex you know your exchange frame, we're almost diving into conspiracies, but I know for sure that this happens anyway, you know, where if you're trading very well, your exchange might start looking at your account all right, you know, this guy's jumping in with a million dollars before leverage and he's always getting it right. 
maybe we can trade with him or, or fuck with him a little bit, you know? So that kind of thing does happen. Um, but I'm not qualified to talk about it because I haven't run into that problem yet. Um, I know I can count on one hand the number of people I know that, that run into this problem. Uh, and it's not the hardest thing. To, you know, Bitcoin's not going to, for example, if it goes from 25 to 30, you're probably going to have a few chances to buy, right? You know, you just be more careful of how you deploy that capital. You know, maybe 500K here, 700 there, you know, for example. So the game does change a little bit. And also, you know, when, when it becomes too much of a problem, then you stop looking at Bitcoin and you start looking at the S&P 500, for example. You know, you, you start looking at Forex pairs where there's way more, you know, and, and, and a Forex pair, a major Forex pair, USD, Euro, for example, you don't need to worry about liquidity. You know, I mean, um, you just don't need to worry about liquidity. Interesting. So right now, let's say you risk diverse, like 30% of your portfolio or something. You play with 100 grand every single day. You can't do the same thing and you can't play around with a million dollars every single day. That would cause liquidity problem, would it? Again, it, it depends. I haven't tried it, um, so I couldn't tell you. But again, I mean, it, it could just be as simple as instead of putting a million dollar order in, you put a 500k order in, you know, and, and you do it twice. Mm. Again, you know, like if I'm trading a smaller coin with $100,000, I'm going to buy $5,000 every three hours, maybe, mm. uh, instead of just market buying 100000 because obviously that would, you know, send the order book flying and then, you know, bots would, you know, it'd just mm. be a mess. You know, you'll just break it up a little bit. Uh, you, there comes a point where even when you break it up, it's still too big, you know, and uh, if, if that's your problem, then, then you know, <laughs> I'd rather listen to your podcast, you know, <laughs> I'd rather, you know, listen to that guy speak because I'm not, yeah, I'm just not qualified to speak on that. Got it. Sammy, are you sort of running all this on your own? Like as a trader, you don't need other people, do you? It's like a one man show. No, yeah, that's, that's kind of the best thing about it, right? Like you almost have no earnings stealing and no boss. Um, I mean, the upsides of being a trader are amazing. I have a, um, I have a few people who kind of uh, contribute to my analysis. I have one main lead analyst who I love very dearly, who is basically an older, wiser, more conservative, more risk averse version of me. Him and I have almost exactly the same trading style. We have almost exactly the same ideas very frequently. We just trade in the same way. So I run almost every idea I have by him, uh, almost, almost just as a friend. Um, you know, we just talk about the market. And, uh, you know, he will, um, for me, it was an important point, like from a businessman's point of view, where I want free time. So I thought, you know, like, I might think of a trade, like I want to buy Bitcoin above 25K, but I can't be bothered to feel it out and look at the numbers. So I'll just kind of text him. And I'll be like, yo, what do you think about this? You know, I want to put a stop loss here maybe, or, you know, what might be a good, you know, level for, you know, profit target they'll just kind of write it out for me i'll look at it you know and I'll, I'll tweak it the way i like you know so that's quite helpful he also brings opportunities to me so for example i don't look at altcoins very much because i don't like them but i'll still make money off them of course um you know so i'll uh, you know he might bring up avax you know avalanche which like there's there's absolutely no reason avalanche i don't know how you say it. there's no reason i'd ever look at it but he might be monitoring it and bring it to my attention. So that's helpful. Um, but yeah, one man band is the way to go. I think for most people, the less people you talk to, the better for sure. The less Telegram, Discord communities you're in as a trader, the better for sure. The reason I say this is 90% of traders lose money. And I promise you, if you can join a Discord group or you know even pay for access to one, you're probably still among that 90%. You want to distance yourself from them. Uh, in fact, you want to feel like you're disagreeing with them a lot of the time. You know, when I, right before I made this very profitable position, uh, I was saying Bitcoin's going to go up for a long time. And people started to hate me for it. And Bitcoin started to drop. It went from 25K down to 20K, down to 19K. 
and everyone was you know laughing at me and i had like the whole fucking world against me um you know really really nasty sentiment on my youtube channel uh, you know, what I always say at times like this, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming on, you know, this video to make friends and stand in a fucking circle and, you know, pat each other on the back to Bitcoin going to a million dollars and typing in, you know, we're all going to make it, you know, and bullshit like that. Uh, I, I am just here to make money. And I understand that if I can get on my YouTube channel and I find that 90% of my viewers agree with what I'm saying, uh, that I'm probably wrong. Uh, not to say that the viewers are stupid, but we are retail at the end of the day. We are retail and we are probably going to get it wrong. And um, and if instead I log on and I'm saying, even while the price is crashing, that I'm still expecting Bitcoin to go up um, and everybody hates me for it. Well, I'm not here to agree with you. Uh, you know, I'm actually, you know, in a, if anything, I'm not. But if anything, I'm here to disagree with you. I want to know what you think I'm so wrong at so I can specifically do that. And that's why it's really important to insulate yourself from other people, if anything, because you uh, you don't you don't want to be you get a sense of. This is the thing is a lot of people join trading as a you know as a lottery ticket or they think that you know okay i'm trading let me have a sense of camaraderie and brotherly love with my discord community that's also trading you know so they all kind of get around and they're talking about trading and then you know they have a random chat where they send in the memes and now they've got you know friends that they meet up with and that's cool that's really cool good for you if you've got friends and you know you've got like all that cool stuff in the trading space but it's not the way to make money uh you know to, to sit around and discussing these ideas you know like the, the the correct way in my opinion is you just learn everything and then you practice it for a long time uh you internalize it you go through the stages of you know losing money and getting used to you know how it feels to risk capital and um, you kind of do it solo um i don't you know i i can't speak to many traders who have you know done it as part of a group um it's not necessary so i mean that scenario where you were predicting bitcoin to go up but it kept going down and everyone was sort of laughing at you did you have any orders open on that prediction no i bought a little bit late um bitcoin fell to 19.7 which is where i said would be a really good area to buy bitcoin because we had a moving average there remember i said past 20 days of price action so we actually had i think 200 day moving average down there uh, which is a phenomenal buy level historically and a phenomenal sell level if we um, if we rise up into it if the line is here and we hit it great sell level or if we fall down to it great buy level um you know but i uh, i was a little bit scared uh that that's that's the truth of it you know to, to make a long story short i was i was a little bit scared i didn't feel comfortable uh until signature bank collapsed and when signature bank collapsed the following minutes i entered my long uh because signature valley collapsed a few days before that and that already started to kind of be a good thing for Bitcoin and Signature Bank collapsed and gold was going up at the same time. And I was sat in a shisha bar with one of my boys and I was like, bro, this might be the time. And um, I specifically, I entered the trade. Uh, I told, I looked up to say, I've entered the trade. I looked back down, $15,000 in profit in five seconds. It was insane. Yeah, that was like the fastest gain I ever made, like in terms of 15K. That was pretty impressive. Um, and that was, was it a leverage of, or was it like a long... 10, 10x leverage at 21.5 i entered with it was like 112k us for me to make fifteen thousand dollars the price would have had to go up by one percent you know because i was using 10x leverage so um the price went from 21.5 to 21.8 probably something like that got it yeah and i didn't the reason i didn't enter any trades it wasn't because of community sentiment or anything like that i was, was just kind of like well what if i'm wrong you know, what if we dip a little bit more before, you know, the right time to buy and, and, and bottom line, it, did, it doesn't matter, you know, like I was a little bit late. Yeah. But does that matter now when we're sitting at 29, you know, like if I entered at 21.5 as opposed to 20 
or if I entered at 23 or 24 or 25, I still would have made a lot of money. It's not about home runs. Uh, I've got onto my YouTube channel multiple times since this position opened, and I said, look, okay, yes, I'm in a really nice gain. I love it. I like seeing, you know, two, 300% profit numbers. It's nice. It's a nice, you know, it feels good to me. But at the same time, uh, I'm not aiming for this. I'm aiming for the easy reproducible 20%, 30%. You know, I'm not able to pull a 300% gain every day. And I know if I aimed for it, I'd probably lose a lot of money in the pursuit of it to the point where when I did make the big gain, I'd only be recovering my losses. So I'm more interested in the safer, easily reproducible 30%, 20% gains. Because when you compound them, again, you're tapping into that real estate beauty of you know, 25 years of compounded profits. Now it's fun, right? So I'm looking for that uh, more than the, the big home. If the home run comes, obviously, I'll take it. I love the home runs. That's um, it's almost like the chapters and everything in between is just you know, turning the page. You know? So I love, I love opening a new chapter, uh, but I, I don't go rushing for it. Got it, Sammy. And with like leverage trading, with 10x, if the price dips more than 10%, you get liquidated out, correct? So you have to always yeah. wait until you know with high certainty that it won't dip more than 10%. Yeah, yeah. So timing becomes a big, you know, like it might have been smart to buy Bitcoin at 20K, but not the first few times because the first few times we plunged below 20, well, not the first time really, because we plunged below 20. But the most recent time, if you bought at 20K, you would have been in a loss for a few hours. Um, you know, so it, it's timing. It's like, you might have the right idea, but you might execute it two months early. And because you're using leverage, that's a problem. If you're buying spot, as long as you don't get scared when the price flash crashes down to 15.5, you don't actually lose any money. Yeah. But with leverage, it can only drop down to $18,000 and then I'm yeah. wiped out. Yeah. But I have a stop loss, don't forget. I don't want to suffer a 100% loss to be taken out of my trade. I don't want to suffer more than a 30% loss which means the price can only drop down by 3%, uh, which in this case would have meant 19.4, uh, which still would have worked because the price only fell down to about 19.7. But um, it's timing. But this isn't a huge issue because as long as you're exercising good risk management, it always comes back down to this. As long as you're exercising good risk management, you could have taken the same bet on Bitcoin to buy at 20K. Bet is definitely the wrong word. You could have taken the same trade on Bitcoin to buy at 20K, uh, and you would have been wrong the first two, three, four times but the most recent time, you probably would have made all your money back. Uh, you, if, if you let the, because the other thing now is like, okay, you're in a profitable position. Don't close it early. Mm. You know, keep making, you know, you, you need to let your winners run. You need to cut your losses short, but you need to let your, a lot of the time you lose a lot. If you've short, if you've bought 20K, if you've went long at 20K three, four times and you lost money every time, your confidence is going to be a bit shook. This is where it's a psychological game. You have to still be willing to commit with a high degree of confidence on the fifth time. You know, and the fifth time might fail too. This is where it gets like, it might fail 50 times. But uh, if, if, you're, if you're trading, you know, with a good, you know, idea, then it shouldn't trade too, it shouldn't fail too many times. Uh, and then when it does work, you make back all of your losses, plus a very, very nice bit of profit on top. Got it. So the first three times it hit 20 and it kept dropping even below 18. And then th that happened three times. And on the fourth time, it bounced all the way back up to 28. If it went up to 28, that's like a, like a 50% return. And if you have 10x leverage, that's a 500% return. Which is a six times gain. And you've done all of that with a 25% success rate. Wow. Yeah, there's very, very different ways to trade for different people. You know, people listening to this, certain ideas I've said are gonna to appeal to them more than other ideas. And it, you know, it depends on your risk tolerance, your, your life, you know, who you are. And this is just my way. This, this is the way I like to make money. It's probably the most simple way to trade. 
uh, or if it's not the most simple way, it's very close because it works. You know, you, why why overcomplicate it if if you you know if you're already making money, just keep doing it, right? Sammy, what's your like macro view on like the economy and market at the moment? Do you feel like we're just going to recession, so you're just going to be shorting for the next five six years? As far as I know, the UK is already in recession. Um, United States should be as well. Recession is just two consecutive quarters where you don't get growth. Um, everyone's trying to redefine important things in the world, like inflation has been redefined by the US government. Recession is now being redefined by politicians. Uh, various other things like what happened in 2020 were also redefined. Let's not open that up. By definition, I think United States is already in recession. I know the UK is. As for like the next years, having like a bad, you know, I don't know, man. I'm a, I'm a short-term trader, so I don't really... Um, I'm just not good at that. I think that there's a new bit of data that's coming out in two days on inflation. So I want to see that. Um, up until like a few days ago, I was I was of the opinion that inflation is kind of done for now and we're okay. But that's not the case anymore, like as of a few days ago, because um, the Fed printed a lot of money and they literally just erased, within two weeks, they erased like nine months of quantitative tightening, which means they erased nine months of trying to tackle inflation. It was working. It was working for nine months. And uh, actually from more than that, it was working for like a year. And, and now they've erased a lot of that. So uh, money has been printed, inflation is happening again. That's probably going to impact the market. This is different. Um, this money is only going to banks to support them, basically bailing them out. But um, that money still is, is in the economy now. So that's still inflation in a sense, or, or will become inflation anyway. I mean, from the point that money is printed to the point that we see that with higher, you know, with more expensive eggs, that takes a while you know, to happen. It's a, it's a lag, which is why, by the way, when it starts to get better, markets turn before that because everyone's trying to front run everyone else, right? Like mm. if, if I think inflation is going to get better uh, in June and it's March right now, I want to start buying in March instead of in June because by June, we might already be 40% up, you know? So we're trying to front run. I think that the dollar is going to continue to lose its supremacy across the world. And I think that a result of that will be, uh, a result of that will be gold um, will continue to rise. I think that uh, if gold continues to rise and Bitcoin continues to fit the narrative of being digital gold, that Bitcoin will probably rise with it. And of course, because Bitcoin is a less liquid, much smaller market than gold, uh, it will probably see some really nice gains as well if that happens. So that's my opinion. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not qualified to talk on it, you know, so I, I can't, I can't speak on it with a lot of confidence, but that's how I'm positioning myself. You know, I mean, I'm only interested in gold and Bitcoin right now. Sammy, what's your thoughts on borrowing money to trade and basically just add a multiplier to your gains every day with inflation making money free? Well, it, I mean, you still got to pay it back, you know, so I don't like that idea um, because it puts you in a weak perspective from a psychological you know, point of view. Pressure is the main thing, mm. but it's also like. You know, a big part of not gambling as a trader is knowing what signs a gambler would exhibit and then not doing it. Mm. So, you know, it, it's like a bit of awareness takes you a long way. If you know what to look out for in a drug addict or a gambler, for example, you can safely engage in trading, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as long as you stay self-aware of what a gambler would do, and if you start seeing it, you just shut your laptop and walk away, you're good. Most people can't and won't do that. Um, in fact, they will justify their gambling tendencies and say that it's actually a smart decision. Yeah. You have to be very self-aware. This is the thing about trading is like, you know, like in boxing, if you make a mistake, you get punched in the face. 
it's the same thing in trading, right? If you make a mistake, you lose money and you'll lose it very quickly. So um, does that answer your question? That makes total sense. Like in my mind, I thought since interest inflation is at like 10% and interest rates are much less, you can borrow money for free, but that still doesn't take into account the whole psychological positioning, like gambling sort of mentality. Um, that's a whole thing I just learned, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, um, you know, let's say you borrowed 10K and now you're down to eight and money is tight, you know, and you got to pay it back. Otherwise, you know, the repo man comes knocking on your door. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you are extremely likely to fuck that up. Um, sense, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I would actually urge anyone to keep in mind if they want to trade is, okay, so if you're playing chess, you're going to, you know, like on chess.com, you're going to play against people of your same skill level. You know, if you're playing in a chess tournament, you're still generally around the same skill level. Poker, same thing. With trading, it doesn't matter how stupid you are, you're playing against the top players in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so if you're worried about paying for your family's medical bills and getting your daughter through university, and that's why you're trading, you're competing against the same guy that will spend $10,000 on chartering a yacht by mistake, you know? Um, and, and he's got that abundance of money and you've got your perspective on money from a place of scarcity and he's got his perspective on money from a place of abundance. He's just going to be more psychologically fit to trade and he will take your money. Trading does not make sense, in my opinion, for people who don't have, uh, you know, enough money to justify taking the risk. Um, you know, if you're starting out with a couple hundred dollars, even a couple thousand dollars, I mean, it obviously depends on what you want, right? Like if you'd be happy, you know, to put in 3K and walk out with 2K, then cool. But, you know, if you're putting in 3K, expecting to, turning it, to turn it into a million, definitely possible has happened many, many times. It's a lot harder to turn 3K into a million as opposed to 300K into a million. You know what I mean? Um, you're just going to be taking on very large amounts of risk for more time, which means that you are more likely to make mistakes. You know, so, um, you know, if, if you're in a position where you even consider stuff like that, you need to stay extremely far away from trading, uh, in, in my opinion. Got it. What I'm sort of realizing chatting with you is that it's such a game of psychology. Like it's, you're sort of dealing with this every single day and it's like, you're sort of like playing it, like you're trying to be self-aware, trying to figure out where you're at more than a business owner. And I guess like even poker players are at that, like that extreme level where they have to sort of put themselves in a framework of abundance, even if they don't have a lot of chips on the table. So like they have to like shift their sort of mindsets depending on the situation where as a trader, if you're not, like if you're abundant, you trade like an abundant trader and you have less money, you have to sort of be more risky. Um, like it's insane. It's like a massive psychological sort of exercise every day. Every single day, day in, day out, uh, you gotta be working at 110% as far as your brain. Um, you know, if you have a personal life issue, you're better off just shutting it off and not, you know, not even trying. Um, it's tiring. Um, it, it's, it's a lot, it's heavy. It's really, really heavy. It's the price you pay for, you know, I mean, again, you're, if you're trading, you're trying to hack life, you know, like for a normal person to go from not very much money to many, many millions of dollars, you would have to, you can't even do it in a career, you know, like no career is going to give you that. You'd have to start a business. You'd have to, um, you know, th there's no salary in the world that's going to give you that level of, you know, you'd have to start a business. You'd have to make money from that business or sell that business, you know, for a multiple of your yearly revenue, you know, in order to make big money or trade, you know, so you're, you're taking a shortcut 
Uh, and then none of these shortcuts are easy. Uh, there is a huge price to pay, a huge psychological toll. Um, a lot of successful traders have to change their minds so much that they turn into shitty people. And I don't even mean arrogant or anything like that. They're just like not fun to be around anymore. A lot of traders, because your your life basically becomes a pursuit of money, you know, as opposed to you know like a bakery, you know, like your life is a pursuit of making good bread. Uh, you know, it's a more noble, it's more humble, you know, as opposed to pursuing money all the time. You can turn into a shitty person because of that. You know, like what happens when you move to Dubai and now you're hanging with all the traders and, you know, like you're getting invited to caviar and, you know, dumb dinners every night, you know, and, and there are, you know, gold diggers around you and it's just a different life, you know. So all of these things can really sidetrack you and take you off the path that you want to be on as a trader. Um, so there's a lot of costs you got to pay that go beyond just the mental one as well. Uh, but psychological warfare is definitely the main two words I would use to summarize what it means to be a trader. Got it. Like in business, you know, there are days where I wake up and I'm just not as motivated or I'm more tired. I had a late night last night, so that affects my performance the next day. But usually with business, a lot of my tasks are sort of manual, so I can just push through, do it slow and steady, and it'll be fine. But as a trader, that affects you, right? Some people, yeah, yeah, it affects some people. Um, it doesn't affect other people. Um, I happen to be one of the people that it affects a lot. So, um, you know, I, I will not trade if I've drank alcohol, for example, or uh, the previous night. Uh, I, I will not trade if I got a minute less than eight hours of sleep. You know, I, I just have hard rules like that. And I learned these rules as a result of my trading journal and a bit of common sense as well. Other people can party do all sorts of drugs and trade at the same time. And I, I don't know how they can do it. I admire them. Uh, I for sure can't, um, you know, so it's different for different people. If you have a bad day, you just kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I guess the best thing about being a trader is that it doesn't matter because on any given day, you probably have to do nothing, um, you know, uh, waiting for the big breakout. Uh, but it obviously helps to have you know, a good, it helps, it helps in anything, whether it's business or trading to have a good, healthy lifestyle with consistent, you know, sleeping and no partying and stuff like that. Because then when the market is ready, you know, what you don't want is like, the, you know, it, it, market suddenly does something really exciting on Saturday morning, but you're going too hard on Friday night, you know, and, and it's just not sensible to enter a trade. You can either break that rule and then maybe trade with compromised judgment or you miss the trading opportunity, you know? So, so that's something that you've got to consider as well. I guess one of my favorite things about trading is you kind of have to have all your other shit together to be a good trader. Unless again, you're like that top, top tier of traders that I've seen. If you're not in that top, top tier, but you're happy to be in the second top tier, uh, you have to have your shit together. You have to live a good life. You shouldn't have toxic people in your life. That's not going to help you, you know, think with, with good judgment, you know, stuff like that. God, uh, as you were saying, that, I was like, wow, like what would happen if a business person applied that to their life where Hey, if they had a, if they drunk the night before, they're not going to work the next morning. If they always wake up at 7 a.m. every single day and they got less than eight hours sleep, they shouldn't work and they should take the days off and they'll let them recover so they can go harder on the days where they're at their peak. And that might net more output and more work over a long run rather than just grinding out every day, no matter what. You know, I think the, the great thing about being a business owner is that once you've got enough money to outsource work, you just, the, the main the main work happens in your head. You know, you're thinking like, which direction do I steer the ship? And everyone else is working on the, you know, the actual wheel of the ship and the, the cloth that makes the wind move in, a, in the right way or whatever. I don't know what you call it. Um, 
the sales. <laughs> and uh, you know, so so you can you can do that as a business person. I can't think of an example where you know having a healthy lifestyle where you have hard. The, the main thing about these rules, by the way, especially if they are like I don't want to say like a workaholic, but someone that's like keenly interested in making sure that they have good output and whatever they put their mind to is if like i have to take a day off because i was partying too hard i'm gonna feel like shit about that you know mm -hmm. like why would i hurt myself in that way was it worth it and hopefully the answer if, if you're serious enough and, and care enough about what you do comes to it's not worth screwing up my progress so i just won't partake you know and then you get better friends too i mean not necessarily better but in my opinion better friends and friends that are interested you know now now the friends that you go drinking with are replaced with friends that you play tennis with for example you know so um it, it kind of changes in that sense sammy like what is it like sort of being where you are at such a young age like at 21 like do you hang out with people that are your age like you you missed up you don't go to college you don't like what is it like doing what you do at such a young age is it lonely most of my friends are above like 25 i would say um a lot of my for a long time all of my i didn't really have any good friends i genuinely like really loved um for a long time up until i started to kind of travel the world specifically like 17 age 17 and onwards when i got my license you know and, and so all my friends were just kind of online but you know after that um yeah i have a lot more friends that are my age uh, you know i live in dubai obviously so if you're in any big city every big city actually no everywhere in the world has some young kid that's an e-com or something you know so like okay i'm not an e-com guy but you know um, it's a young guy he's gonna be like between 18 to 22 a lot of the time and he's just kind of like trying to get his hustle on a little bit you know so it's easy to meet like-minded people um that are young and like you know hustling a little bit these days especially in a place like dubai um you know so so that you know that's quite easy now before it was a big struggle i was a very 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 lonely person and was quite depressed about it too now it, it's turned into uh actually what, what the original goal was was you know like i wanted to be able to experience all the cool stuff in life that most people don't even are not even open to the idea that they could experience it you know simply because it's not on their career path you know but i wanted to for example tour europe in my dubai ferrari um, you know, before I turned 21 and I was able to make that a possibility. So, you know, like, yeah, I've missed out on college parties where I could have been, you know, pulling fives, you know, because I'm too drunk to see that they're fives or whatever. Uh, but mm -hmm. instead I, I toured Europe with, with my boys. Uh, you know, we were in sports cars, supercars, and just fucking up wherever we went, you know, and, and having a good time that way, you know? So, um, the, the rewards are different. Uh, I missed out on a lot of stuff for sure. And I experienced a lot of other stuff that um, that people wouldn't have been able to, uh, that I knew I wanted to before I, I became old. I actually feel like I'm in a position now where, like last year, I was you know, 20 turning 21. Um, I felt like I lived because summer was so crazy for me. It was you know, the end of the bull market as well. So everyone was you know, spending and it was all fun. I felt like I lived like three, four summers. I, I lived the whole summer with my friends with amazing people that I wanted to be around. And, you know, like that's the enjoyment that, you know, if I took a different path in life, I, I would have only been able to accumulate across multiple years, but I had it all within, you know, three, four months, you know? And, and so what that's put me in is now a position where I'm 21, but I feel like I think very differently. I'm not thinking like I'm 21. I'm thinking like I'm, I'm much further down the line, you know, which means more long-term moves, you know, being more sensible. Uh, which is nice, you know, it's, it's, it's always helped me to be, uh, you know, smart with my moves from an early age. 
Uh, and then, you know, I just kind of have these off phases where I'm like, all right, let's, let's have a bit of fun now, you know, and, uh, and otherwise I'm just kind of holed up in a, in a cabin, um, in the middle of nowhere and, uh, focused on what I need to focus on gym reading. That's it. Stuff like that. What's your thoughts on like traveling solo, um, versus traveling with all the boys? Yeah, um, solo traveling has a time and a place. I don't think it's anywhere near as fun as people make it out to be. Maybe I'm just boring to be around by myself. But um, I don't generally like solo traveling that much anymore. I've done enough of it. Um, traveling with the boys, it, it's, you know, I don't need to say it. I mean, it's obviously an amazing time. They need to be good people. That's important. Um, you don't want to you know, travel with, uh, with people that are annoying to be around or whatever the case may be. You know, so that's hard for a lot of people. That was hard for me for a long time. You know, the amount of times I planned trips with these friends, they just like the suburban shitty town we grew up in, you know, so they never wanted to leave. Um, you know, so you got to meet the right people. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's the most fun you'll have traveling with a partner, uh, traveling with, you know, if you're a guy with your boys or a girl with your girls or whatever, um, traveling with your parents, man, fuck, you know, like stuff like that. These are amazing things to do um definitely my favorite thing to do in life probably yeah yeah lots of fun are there any sort of ways or any tips for sort of attracting sort of young entrepreneurs that have that abundance mindset because you know a lot of younger entrepreneurs they're like competitive they're like savages they like they're gonna congratulate you on their ig but they want to crush you and then it sort of takes a while to then start finding and attracting just kind down-to-earth people who just want you to succeed and they don't see your success as impeding on them i have to wonder how much of this would be a reflection of the individual when i really struggled to find friends that i would consider good i took a step back and i realized oh i'm not good either uh and i'm not good in different ways maybe but i'm not good either so you know when i worked on fixing that it became really easy to find good people i think that's an essential part of it because while it might not be the whole like a lot of people are just shitty for sure but you're not in control of other people so you are in control of yourself so that's that's an essential thing i'd mention other than that i mean you know twitter instagram find them that way talk to them there are a lot of fake people man um it's it's kind of hard to get away from right like especially again if you're in a place like dubai for example or you know other major cities major cities kind of breed that mentality whether we're talking about young kids online making money or you know, a 40 year old guy that's climbing the corporate ladder, you know, like it, it's just the culture that is bred in that environment is toxic, you know? So yeah, you just got to find down to earth people, be one of them. Um, I don't really know, you know, life just happens um, and, and you come across them. What were the things that you sort of worked on that sort of then created this reflection where you started just attracting great people? The primary thing for me was it was making myself a better person, which is very vague on purpose. It, it's everything. Um, when you work on yourself, whether it means making money or fitness or educating yourself or spiritual, whatever, if you kind of stay true to it, you're disciplined, you don't stop after, you know, three, four days, you just kind of build like the self-confidence, this energy around you, you know, which like people won't want to disrespect you. You know, they won't want to be cunts, basically. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. They, they won't want to be bad people to you. I think that was kind of what did it for me. Obviously, status helps, but then you attract, you know, potentially a more fake audience too. But status is like the biggest thing that can help with this because if you're high status, um, you know, no one's going to want to 
you know, but but then they're only nice to you because of that, right? So I'd say the number one thing is uh, is, is yeah, you uh, you commit to doing good things for your life, and you'll build uh, the energy about yourself that will prevent people from uh, from being hostile or not nice towards you. I, I think that might you know that it's probably not amazing advice. I don't know. I'm probably too young for that question, man. No, I, I really like that answer. It makes total sense. Like that's all you can work on. And I think if you sort of, I feel like you can even just, if you have like 10 points that you could work on, if, even if you went hard on one point and, and you just got really good at that one thing, you just sort of automatically just attract better people. Yeah. Like you can like, so. yeah. yeah. That, that that's what happened to me. Oh yeah, I'd cut off the bad people too. There's no, there's no reason to keep them around. You know, um, if you, if you wouldn't want them, you know, around when you're 60, just you know, whatever. I mean, um, a lot, a lot of people they just have very mediocre, shitty friends because that's just who they grew up around. You know, and uh, if you want better friends, you got to make the space for them, right? Um, that's a pretty scary, difficult thing to do. Uh, it was for me, but um, you know, it's worth it. Definitely worth it. it. It's, it's quite shocking actually. It's almost every time I. I took someone out of my life, someone better came in every single time. It's so strange how it happens. Uh, but a lot of people can relate to that, you know, like that's actually quite a universal, you know, thing that people realize as they get older. It's just, you know, try and realize it when you're younger so you don't waste time. That's so good. Tell me about that, um, that Europe tour. Like I see you got the Ferrari. Um, how old were you when you got that? What was the experience of freaking getting a Ferrari at like such a young age? Did you get it in Dubai? I got it in Dubai yeah, when I was 19. Um, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. I really, really like that car. Um, you know, I, uh, I was, a, you know, I, I have a problem with cars, man. Like, I kind of like, I just kind of like fall in love with a car and then that's it. You know, like I, I genuinely cannot fucking control myself and I just go out and buy it. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't. Like, like I used to be, well, still am, I guess, um, friends with Andrew, uh, you know, at, at, you know, at the moment he's still in in jail um, because of the corrupt Romanian judicial system. But, um, you know, I, I would go to him for advice. I'd be like, hey, you know, like I want to buy a car. I'm worth this much. What do you think? And he'd always just be like, do it, you know, and you just like snap, like just fucking buy it, you know, and I'm like, <sighs> okay, Andrew said yes, you know, and uh, that kind of contributed to it a little, little bit, um, you know, so the Ferrari was one of them and uh and i just yeah i moved to dubai and i and i and i bought it and that's a lot of fun um took it to europe yeah flew it over uh flew it into london took it to the house that i grew up in um when my mom was still on welfare um so that was pretty uh interesting uh to to drive by the same street that you know i would i would walk in and out of the school and stuff like that um and then yeah just took the euro tunnel which is a little underground tunnel that you know, uh, bridges england and france uh and then and then we hit the we hit the road um there was four of us in three cars and um you know we just toured yeah, yeah amsterdam germany switzerland saint tropez monaco into italy um ended in croatia you know what, what did we do we went to you know we went to some clubs we uh we went to amazing driving spots we met very very good people along the way a few friends flew in along the way to to meet us because we were on the road for a long time we um you know, went to cigar. I don't know. We were just hanging out. You know, we were, you know, it was, we were just being four young guys that, you know, have a bit of cash and just enjoying ourselves, you know, young guys that like none of us were, um, only one of us came from a uh, good family, but even he didn't have help from that family. Like he did everything on his own. He's actually a fucking legend. His name is Suhit Amin. Um, and this guy, 
he's actually the guy that got me into my first business. That YouTube thing I mentioned earlier, uh, he got me into that. And a year or two later, he got cancer. And he survived it because he's a legend. And now he's kicking about and just like living his life, you know, doing amazing things. Um, you know, so we all were self-made. Yeah, we had that camaraderie about us. You know, we had to find each other online. We didn't grow up in the same area. So it was from Scotland. Uh, the other guy, um, one of the other guys was from the very bottom of, you know, the UK. So we were literally on opposite sides of the same country. Granted, it was the same country. Uh, you know, and we kind of pulled our way in our own ways. And then we uh, we took our cars on a fun tour, you know. And then and then I ended, uh, you know, a month of extreme socialization and lots of stuff going on. I kind of decided I want a break. And I just kind of stopped in Italy in the, in the mountains, in the Alps for uh for about two weeks um you know and i was just completely by myself i didn't speak to any other humans other than like hotel stuff uh and i just um yeah i was just on my grind you know just uh, just enjoying you know a bit of solitude for a bit so that was really fun and then um and then and then 21st birthday that, that was the whole point is i wanted to do that like i've had very limited enjoyment in my life other than video games up until i uh you know moved to dubai basically or, or I could say up until I got my license, you know, so I wanted to do something really big. Uh, I felt like, you know, okay, just, just before I turned 21, I felt like, you know, I'm really, you know, I was looking at, okay, 21, like, you know, you're an adult at 18, you're an adult at 19, at 20, but 21, you know, like, the, you know, every, everywhere, like Canada is like, you know, you can buy like whatever weed at like 19 and America's like alcohol at 21, UK is like everything at 18, you know, so different countries, different cultures have different ideas of when you're an adult, but no one disagrees when you're 21, that's it. You know, like you're you're uh, you're a man, and uh, and I was just thinking, like, you know, the Europe trip was planned for multiple years, so I'm definitely gonna do that. But other than that, I'm kind of done with enjoyment, you know. So it was really nice to go through that, you know, euphoric explosion of excitement, you know, during that one month road trip. Uh, but then, you know, compose myself and just think and be on my own for two weeks before having one final crazy blast off in Mykonos. Um, for the actual birthdays. That was fun. Um, other other birthdays, other important events, I do literally nothing. Um, you know, so I kind of just, like I said, it's it's either everything or nothing at all. Uh, very, I have a very obsessive personality. When I'm doing something, I only want to do that. And that has served me well, uh, I, I think, as well. That's so cool. When you sort of are on the grind, is that sort of you reading, healthy diet, working out? Because you can't, as a trader, you can't trade more, right? No, no, exactly. It's, um, I, I'd be back in the trading books. Um, you know, I, I study the same material I've studied a million times um, just because it works. The more I study it, the, the better I do somehow. I don't know how it works, but it's, uh, it's just how it happens. So I uh, study trading materials that I've consumed before. I study others that I haven't. I um, just pay more attention. Um, you know, it's hard to pay attention when you've got things going on, you know, like you've just gone to the pool and now you have a you know lunch and and then you know you're gonna fuck about with your friends for a few hours before dinner kind of thing so you you know you can't be on it and, and paying attention when you've got that kind of lifestyle it's i mean you can some people pull it off but like i said i don't so um yeah it, it means other things it means working more on the businesses it means working uh you know just just not having excuses you know like um if i'm going for dinner at like an italian place and there's like an amazing you know linguine you know or some grilled chicken breast like you know what am i gonna you know so just like not going out helps a lot as well to you know not make mistakes it's why the fastest growth i ever had um by many measures including like you know percentage growth of funds and stuff like that was always when 
I had nothing in my life and I had no friends, no social life. No, I, I never, I never went outside. The only thing I could do was be focused. So, um, you know, or play video games, but video games weren't interesting anymore because at this point I was making money. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, when they start making money, they lose interest in video games. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of, a lot of gamers are now like e-com gurus and stuff like that too, you know? <laughs> so you go from, uh, one thing to another uh, and, and yeah when when i'm just kind of locked away and i don't have any choice but to be good to do the things i should be doing that that helps that helps a lot sammy are you and all the boys do you guys all live in dubai all in the same sort of building is that the setup no um so i have a lot of like close friends that i, I don't know if i have a lot i have a good amount of close friends that i consider like that um, a lot of them do happen to be in dubai because i'm there most of the time None of them are in the same building. Dubai is a small place. You don't need to live near somebody, um, you know, kilometers-wise, in order to, uh, you know, hang out with them. Even the most far areas are not that far, you know, generally, unless you're, like, ridiculously far for, like, no reason. Um, but, like, most people live within 20 minutes of everything, you know. So I, I live in, the, in downtown, but if someone lives on the opposite side of the city in Marina, I am only 15, 20 minutes away from them. You know, so that's pretty easy. Yeah, and then, yeah, a lot of friends, like, you know, dotted around, like, LA, London, whatever. So, um, you know, just kind of meeting them when I'm in that respective city, too. Sammy, tell me about how you met Andrew Tate. That's so crazy. You met him, like, pretty early on, right? Tell me about how that came together. Yeah, I think it was, like, 2018. Um, oh, that's really early on. Yeah, yeah, like, six years ago. Yeah, he was on Twitter, um, and what was his name on Twitter? Tate speech. Okay, Tate speech. Tate, Tate speech, I think. I think Cobra Tate was already banned at that time from Big Brother. I just DM'd him, man. I was like, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a young guy. Uh, I'm making money. What's up? You know, and, um, and he likes that. Um, always has liked that. I mean, you'll, you'll notice if you pay attention to the way he behaves around uh, young men, um, you know, anywhere between kind of 16, 30, maybe even, or like 24. You know, that, that young age bracket, he will give them a lot of attention and, and support and whatever. I mean, uh, he, he's just that guy. So, and he was that guy for me at a time where he wasn't very famous. So, uh, it was it was actually quite easy to um, you know have a conversation with him, have phone calls with him. And I remember like I'd I'd be beefing with my girl and, and I'd call him up. You know, it's, my, it's my favorite thing to tell about him. He, you know, he'd just be like, "Drop the bitch." Yeah. I wish I took the advice earlier. Um, you know, but but stuff like that. So. Um, he was always there uh, as, as an amazing, amazing friend. It's also like, you know, someone else could have given me similar advice to what he gave me. But, you know, like when it comes from a man like Andrew, you're just going to shut up and listen, you know, like as opposed to someone else. So, um, he, you know, sometimes he might not have, you know, fitness stuff. You know, he would say, shut the fuck up and get in the gym kind of thing. Like to that extent, not with these words, but, you know, like with that kind of tonality. And when Andrew says it, you're like, okay. You know, but like when someone else, when your friend says it, you know, and he's also kind of out of shape. It's like, shut up, bro. You know, whatever. You know, so, so it's, it's a bit different. Um, yeah. And then we met up a couple times uh, early on. Uh, then uh, when he moved to Dubai, he came to my villa. Um, that was fun. Had a little party. I was actually with him just like a month before he got arrested um, at his villa in Dubai when he was recording a podcast with Zuby. Uh, I tagged along with Zuby and we were just... Um, yeah, man, that was that was weird. I remember sitting right there and he was talking about, I understand in this game, you've got three strikes or whatever. Cancel, prison, kill. And um, yeah, it was it was surreal watching him say that in person. You know, I was I was sat like 
where your couch is behind you, like that far away. Uh, as, as he said, one of the most famous things he's ever said that literally it was almost like a prophecy. So yeah, interesting guy. So is his brother, love his brother. Um, they're both amazing people. They're obviously, you know, being treated very unfairly, very, very generous, uh, kind people, uh, and extremely, you know, like well screwed on with their like head mindset and stuff like that. Uh, it's contagious. Um, yeah, cool guys. Cool guys. And, and they love cars. So, you know, that's, that's always fun. Uh, I, I remember once um, when, when, I, when I moved to Dubai, Andrew started messaging me and he was like, you need to buy a 720S. I was like, chill. He's like, no, no, you need to buy a 720S. I was like, but I don't have the money for it right now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, it, was, it was funny. It was funny. I miss him. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a, it's a real shame what's happened with the, um, yeah, but, but he'll, he'll come out. I'm surprised they've kept him for this long, man. We're on like four months now. I, I, I did not think it would go on for this long. I miss him. Dude, like, I, I don't know what's happening to my IG feed, but I'm just seeing a lot of Andrew Tate recently. It's like, I'm, I'm checking his IG to get his like thoughts because that's sort of like his up-to-date thoughts, but I, I miss his sort of live views on the world. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, you know, I, I didn't actually uh, pay attention to most of his material when he's really started to blow up because it was kind of just the same you know, stuff in, in slightly different flavors. And you like, when you've heard it the first 50 times, it's not so interesting on the five to a thousandth time. Um, you know, so I couldn't really comment on that stuff, but it's good that he's got a good team around him though. That's, that's, that's really good. He's got, he's got good people, um, that are working on his case and stuff like that. Does Andrew just have like such a huge bandwidth where he just has like a lot of people that he talks to, helps, and has a lot of relationships. Or is... when you when you help a lot of people, they will want to help you back. Um, but he also has the war room, you know. And the war room is a very connected, uh, very well connected group of uh, group of people. Um, so there's that. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a combination of these things. But I think you know, like the biggest thing I've noticed was like people that are very close to him. They are diehard protectors of his soul. And it's almost a bit weird sometimes. I'm being completely honest with you. Like it is almost like a, sometimes I, I looked at it. I was like, "This is." I mean, you're a grown man too, you know. But um, but then you you step back and realize why is this guy like this? It's because Andrew either directly or indirectly has changed this man's life, and they feel like they owe a lot to him for that. Uh, and I certainly feel that way too. Um, you know, like just not even like from the personal conversations I've had with him, but like just fucking like listening to him online alone, you know, was, was life changing too. When I was like 19, I sort of moved to San Francisco and I was working in a small startup and I think it was like a team of five, six and it was insane. It, like the other team members were like protectors for the main guy, my mentor. And like, you know, that would take a bullet for him. Like it was like a family setting and it almost felt like a bit of a cult. Like once I was in, I was just infatuated with this whole setup and I was like the little younger brother and, you know, we ate together, we went out together. My mentor, we, he'd have different perspectives on the world and we share it and it felt like we were in this black box and just, it was insane. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to like get plugged into that, you know, especially if you've never really experienced it before. Um, to see people behave that way for another person, that's not God. You know, the only other way people, you know, glorify others would be like a celebrity or a politician, you know, usually, you know. So obviously this falls into the celebrity category. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It, it's also interesting that um, his message a lot of the time is like, think for yourself, be your own person. 
you know and mm. you know so so that's that's something which um which i always found quite interesting as well but man i mean be great to be in his position you know like access to four thousand very well connected people all around the world if you could monetize that what would i like that would be worth you know tens of millions of dollars at least you know if you could you know what i mean so uh, so that's really cool because i was like thinking about it like when i was like in that startup setting like prior to that i was this young e-com kid that you know made six figures and i was 19 i flew over i wasn't expecting to like work with i was i was supposed to just sort of help them out but you know 10 days turned into 30 days turned into like nine months and there were times where i was like fuck like my mentor is like super duper smart and switched on like maybe i don't have what it takes like maybe i should serve a bigger goal and, and maybe i should let my visions go and, and i'm on a winning ship right now and he would always talk about how you know it's better to be d-rock who works with gary v than be like your own photographer and, and it would like it would, i'll be like yeah maybe i should like just give up everything and just like enjoying this thing and, and it was so infatuating yeah it was like it was crazy i think that there's a lot of um benefit to be found from you know instead of working on your own working for someone else that's just way better than you and then you know if you still want to work on your own after a year or two of, of good experience then you're just way way better equipped to do it um you know so that's that's always been really cool you know being in the presence of greats and stuff like that i think that's actually essential to be honest if you want to you know level yourself up which again means like dropping off dead weight and finding you know better people whether that's online or in person one thing i've always like after coming out of that setting i've always wanted to have something like that of my own like have a circle of people that have my back are like family and i think that's sort of the next chapter for me where i met a lot of very successful people but a lot of the people i met they're either lone wolves or they're alphas and they have their own group of friends and i was like damn like I, i'm sort of at this stage where i want to start building my own team my own crew and i think I'm still trying to figure it out, but yeah, it's, I think, I feel like that might be the next step for me, I guess, specifically. It's, it's really cool. Um, you know, not only do you have, um, you know, good friends, but you know, like people that you could travel with and have fun experiences, but you have people that can help you, people that can, you know, if you don't have a particular connection, get that connection for you and so on. So there's a lot of utility in it. I've actually noticed that a lot of young guys that have made a good amount of money, six or seven figures minimum, um, have now gone in that route of, um, you know, either starting their own thing or joining another one, you know, and, um, uh, and, I, and I'm in a few, uh, you know, and they're good. You know, I, I'm not really active in any particular group because I don't belong in a group, but um, at, at least not now, you know, but, um, but I've noticed that the people who are in them, they, they get a lot of benefit out of them. That's definitely uh, a, a cool way to do things. We're all very niche these days, right? Like everyone kind of finds their community. You follow who you like. You know, you subscribe to the subreddits that you, you know, that you agree with. And then you kind of just like only like have agreement around you. You kind of only just have people that are in your same line of thought. You know, so I think people are trying to make that into a WhatsApp group chat now, into a Telegram chat, you know, like into a into a community that you can interact with. Uh, and it always seems to float around like one alpha male persona, um, which I've noticed. Like Andrew, you know, did that with the war room, but that wasn't the first time it happened. There have been many instances of it before and many, many more afterwards as well. In fact, it's funny. People who got kicked out of the war room would start their own versions of war rooms and stuff. It seems like a really universal young man's um, hustle right now. Um, 
and it definitely works. Um, it's definitely a good thing to be a part of uh, if you don't have that network already. Me personally, it's not it's not really something that applies. That not not applies, but not something that interests me because I've found that like for my position in my life right now, I kind of like I know everything I need to know. I know everyone I need to know. I know everything I need to do. I just need to do it. And uh, you know, a group chat isn't gonna isn't gonna help with that. Do you see yourself sort of going through this journey of life, sort of mainly solo, doing your own thing with trading, because you sort of can do that independently, maybe find a partner, a girlfriend that is perfect for you. And it's just like that, or do you sort of yearn to have best friends that really have your back? Or is it, are you pretty happy with having a bunch of friends around the world that you can kick it with whenever you, you want to travel? Uh, I think I think all of the above, man. Um, I think most people would want everything you just said. Um, you know, I think I think most people would be quite happy with a very close group of friends and a partner, and then a wider group of friends that you know they, they have in their city. And then if they can and want to travel, then also friends around the world. You know, and I and I feel like that's you know more or less what I've kind of been you know working towards or, or you know having uh, you know already. You know, so I'm quite I'm quite happy with that. Um, I might look at you know more interaction and more stuff with other people later i go out like nearly every night anyway you know when i'm in dubai uh, or at least i used to um not so much in the last few months you know and um it's just because i've got certain goals that i need to work on you know i kind of just accepted like yeah a lot of people are not going to see me for a while and that's okay um I'll, I'll come back a new person what's your thoughts on like on that journey of trying to build that inner circle finding that tristan finding that luke people who have your back they don't have that ambition they don't really want to go off on their own they want to help you support they want to support your vision so you're looking for like people it's like this mix of you want deadly killers on your team they're not to a point where they're off doing their own thing they want to help you on your vision it's it's that's the part i'm sort of trying to figure out at the moment so um each of these people you've listed do have their own thing and and i think that that is uh an important part of it it's hard to be a character like Tristan or you know other names that you may or may not have mentioned if you don't already have your own thing that you're running. Um, because how would you get there? So you you know I, I want my friends to like have whatever you know like that like whether it means like a business or you know like a a very serious boxing profession. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, but then at the same time, um, you can just kind of hang out, right? And if you're are you describing like how do you become like the main guy of that group or even yeah i think that's what you you just helped me realize that everyone else is doing their own thing and now i'm looking at it, that's true and maybe the reason why andrew's the main guy he's just he's also doing his own thing but he's just at a much higher level and he and he tracks all those is that status that's what you've just described as status uh and then you know ideally uh, you would genuinely help the other people around you as, you know, he would have helped his brother as his brother would have helped him as uh, he would have helped his friends with, you know, whether it's good life advice or whatever. And then you have even more loyalty. They want to help you back. Uh, you know, it turns into a really beautiful thing. So um, I think, yeah, achieving those dynamics, most of it would be done through status. In my opinion, you don't want to chase that. You want to chase the process instead. You know, like, okay, like, a lot of people want that, and I understand why. It's quite nice, um, you know, to be the, the center of a big group like that, obviously. You're not going to get there by being average or even above average. You're going to get there by being 
you know, exceptionally exceptional. <laughs> you know, like very, very exceptional as a as a character is is, is how you're gonna. You know, when you're that guy, you just kind of get everything you want anyway, right? Like, you know, all the business opportunities come your way, all the girls, all the friends, all the, you know, cool opportunities to, like, shoot exotic weapons in Thailand or whatever, you know, like, everything's going to come your way uh, when, when you're that guy. So, you know, just focus on being that guy. It's almost the same universal approach of, like, just be a cool person, achieve a lot of cool shit, um, you know, educate yourself, live a lot of life. I don't know. That's That's what it comes down to for me. And then I think the thing I find impressive is that all these people that hang out with Andrew, they themselves have high status and they could have their own circle, but they choose to hang out with Andrew. Yeah. So like Andrew just has to be like much, like really, really cool to be able to like, um, like what's another metaphor? It's like, you know, the lion. And then there's, I don't have like a, a good metaphor lions, right now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, you've got like one king. Like, I mean, you know, so again, a number of these people have their own communities too. The others, you know, a big part of it is like stuff like, I'm not in the war room, so I can't comment on this, but my understanding, um, you know, it's not like if you're in the group and you're not Andrew, you still have access to everyone else that's in the group, right? So I think a lot of these people, like, why, why would they? You know, like they've got their work, they've got their career. Why would they then start up, you know, a bunch of other online, you know, paid things, including perhaps a, uh, uh, you know, a group chat you know, uh, something like that. So um, if it's a good group that retains membership that people want to be a part of, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not the main guy. I'm not familiar with the politics, if there are any of that group, um, but I know it's very big, you know, in terms of size and uh, uh, connections, you know. So, um, you know, I, I think it everybody helps everybody is definitely a part of that. What was your relationship like over the five years you knew Andrew? Was it just like you would always message him here and here, give him a call if you're ever in town, roll up with your car and then sort of drive around together? That's it. Yeah, yeah. We never actually drove around together, uh, I think. No, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We went to Jubble Jace, the tallest mountain in the UAE. That was fun. Um, that's actually one of my pictures on Instagram. Yeah, you got the iconic photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was um, that was a drive I did with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, yeah, it was just what you said. I mean, uh, it, it was actually exactly what you said. Everything, everything that you said. You know, we just kind of like, you know, text every now and then. I was also like, um, you know, I, I would give him my read on the markets. You know, which uh, I'm very proud to say that I think he found at least somewhat useful. You know, and then I'd also go to him for advice. And, you know, maybe I needed help with something. He needed help with something. You know, stuff like that. What do you think you? sort of being on the inside what do you think people on the outside don't see from andrew that you probably were able to observe since you're in that situation i don't know man uh you know people like you and i we get a lot of andrew in our algorithm so um you know you if you see a lot of andrew in your algorithm you're only seeing good things i struggle to find people that don't like him <laughs> you know like it, it's like the internet makes it sound like he got cancelled by like more than 50 percent of the population but Okay, granted, I live in a conservative country, you know, Dubai, UAE, but um, I, I really haven't very, met met very many people at all, uh, whether in the UAE or in the West, that um, that don't like Andrew. A lot of the people that don't like him just haven't listened to him with long-form content. You know, a lot of the people that don't like him, they just, um, you know, they just would have seen clips out of context and stuff. So everyone gets targeted that way, and he obviously got targeted a lot because he also gave them a lot of ammunition too. You know, like he also said a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have said. You know, I think that they just have those you know, opinions of him that haven't had a chance to fully develop or anything like that. 
what were the biggest lessons you learned from Andrew? Was it just a lot of like, hey, go to the gym. Hey, you know what to do. Just freaking do it. It was to buy every car that I want to buy without questioning it. And um, there was this one specific moment where I did not follow that advice. And um, I didn't buy a Ferrari that I wanted. It was a million dollars. I should have asked Andrew, actually. Uh, I'm wondering if I did ask him. Uh, I didn't end up buying it. Bitcoin was at 50K and it turned out to be a very big mistake um, because uh, Bitcoin then crashed down to like 17K. Yeah, that, that was the one time I didn't buy a car that I fell in love with. But yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's the primary thing I got from Andrew. If, if I can put it down to anything, and I'm sure he'd be proud of me saying that anyway, uh, is, is that I should just buy every car I want uh, without question. <laughs> yeah. uh, in, a, in a more real sense, it was, yeah. Um, I think the, the key thing that I took away from him was in his I and mine course, he talks about, you know, you've got this like shadow version of yourself that is your enemy. You're going to meet him on your deathbed every day. He did the right things. Um, even if you did like 80% of the right thing or 0%, this shadow version did 100% of the right thing every single day. Um, what's the difference between you and him? Compete against him. You know, and that really stuck with me. I think that theory of just buying things, like I remember Andrew talking about how, you know, money isn't real. You should spend it. There's, it's inflation. And like even my mentor, he would push me to just buy things that I would need. He would be like, dude, just get the newest iPhone, that 10%, 1% improvement. would we'll get the newest laptop buy that car you want. And I remember buying my first car, it was like a CLA 200 Mercedes. It was like maybe 25, 30 grand. And I only had 60 grand, it was like half of my net worth. He was like, do it. And it's weird when you do these things and it forces you to make the money back faster. And it's somehow like buying and sort of putting yourself with these, surrounding yourself with these nice things and, and sort of spending your money and not saving it up seems to ironically do the opposite and help you earn a lot of money quicker somehow. Yeah, so there's the abundance mentality part of it. Um, and there's also like, you know, if you're priced out and you can't afford the stuff anyway, then why the fuck are you looking at it? Like, why is your head not like, you know, at your workplace or working on your business or whatever the case may be? You know, like if you can't afford the car in the first, like if it's like, you know, for me at that particular time, it might have been that like, you know, the Porsche that I wanted that he that he told me to buy the first time he really pushed me to buy a car. Um, you know, I probably would have made as much as that Porsche within that month, you know, so like, by very rich people standards, it's not a smart idea to send your, you know, to spend your entire monthly earning on a car, um, you know. But by the standards of a of a guy who also came from the streets, you know, Andrew, uh, you know, like he knows, like you can just kind of make money and then make more, you know. And um, and I think that's been a big part of it is that abundance mentality. You know, you don't need a shortage of anything that you like in life. You can have it all. So that was quite useful. Um, and I was already kind of headed in that direction, but. Uh, to a lesser extent, you know, so to have that amplified and nurtured, uh, you know, with good advice was uh, was quite useful. Uh, Andy, I have to get going, though, and uh, and I want to do a follow-up with you because there's, there's a lot more that, you know, it sounded like we could go through. I wrote down, like, so many things, but I really appreciate time today, Sammy. Um, Sammy, where can people find more about what you're doing? Where, where are the best places for people to reach out because you've shared so much valuable content today? Where can people find more? Yeah, so trading-related content, YouTube. Um, just type in my name, Sammy Loyal. Um, four flies, either work. Uh, Instagram, Sammy Loyal underscore. Um, that's, uh, that's probably the best way to look at what I'm doing. And uh, Twitter, uh, I'm, more, uh, I'm more markets focused on Twitter. Uh, I talk about the markets a little bit. I'm not very active on Twitter, but those are the three places. Um, Instagram's best for me, and YouTube is best for my knowledge. Um, so that's, that's what I'd say. 
Sammy, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I just love how self-aware you are, how humble, down to earth. I love how you just share the downs, the losses. It makes it really realistic. Um, and you're sort of just this down to earth dude, like especially at your age as well. Like a lot of people at your age would be pretty sort of, you know, they'd be really confident and really sort of cocky and they deserve to be. Despite you can do that, you just sort of are oh, this down to earth, chill dude. Um, and I could just feel that with the last few hours we've communicated. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you as well, man. I, I actually noticed similar things about you, but I didn't even get to talk to you much about yourself. Um, I'd love to do that. They set out on this like objective to show everyone that like you can have it all and be a nice guy, you know, because there's not very many that are both. Um, but it's it's nicer to be both because then people meet you and they're like, who the fuck is that? Like, how is that person like this? Uh, you know, and that's uh, it's nice to be the nice guy. Uh, you know, because I think that's the right way to be all the time. Uh, you know, you don't need to make a hundred thousand dollars and then act like you own the world and be an absolute cunt. You can still be a nice person too. And you know, a big, big props to those who who pull it off. You're right, and I think I was just surprised, like watching long form content of Andrew, seeing the behind. He's just a nice, kind, humble dude. Even Drake, Drake jokes about how girls when they meet him, they tell him, "Wow, I'm surprised you're so nice." It's like these. People at the top are usually generally nice oh, yeah. people. It's a bit rarer to yeah, see yeah, yeah. those type of people at younger age though. I think that's sort of what makes you rare, Sammy, is like when people are at a younger age and they have that, that's like a pretty rare thing that you have. Thank you, man. Thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's something I'm proud to be able to, to do. Thank you so much, Sammy. I really appreciate it. I'm gonna let you go. I know we went super over time. Um, if you guys made it this far, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Please drop. Um, a review on Spotify and Apple. I've been reading all the reviews. I'd love to get your feedback. And again, thank you so much for your time if you've made it this far. Hopefully it was worth your time. I'll see you guys next week with another episode. Peace.